They'll be back for us, won't they? We're on our own. I can't keep running like this. We don't have to. There's gotta be a phone or something here, right? We find this thing, and we go home. Our rescue will be a Brooklyn exclusive. A T-Rex lair right on top of Main Street. This is great. This is terrible. Welcome to Camp Kenji. have to find a place to hole up until help arrives. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. What's up, Brooklanders? Time for another unboxing exclusive of Jurassic World right here on the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. You know what? I'm not even going to try and do Brooklyn's voice. (laughs) That sucked. I think you should have kept that up, honestly. But this that was compelling. Is, this is the IPC podcast, broadcasting live on channel1138.com. My name is Zach. We've got a whole host of voices that are going to be a part of this podcast tonight. You've heard a couple of them. I'm going to bring them in here in just a second. But yes, this is going to be a continuation of our long-standing Jurassic arc, which we have done here on the IPC podcast for coming up on six years now. Our very first year, we talked about the original movies, and then when there was speculation about Jurassic World, we talked about that. We reviewed the actual Jurassic World back in 2015. We reviewed Falling Kingdom. We reviewed Season 1 of Camp Cretaceous, and now here we are back for another round with season two of camp cretaceous it's going to be a lot of fun and in order to help us have as much fun as possible we've brought in a lot of people from a lot of different parts of the globe we've got east coasters west coasters and somebody from the other side of the world with us on this podcast so you better pay special attention to this episode but we probably need to bring all of those voices in here before we can start the discussion. As I mentioned, my name is Zach, and joining me, as he always does, it's my good friend, my co-host, my bud, Mr. Ben Jammin' Hart. How you doing, man? How's it going with you, and uh, how's it going, everybody? Glad to be back with the Jurassic Arc. We're just continuing this on. You know, this is the whole thing is a Jurassic Arc. 
you know, we're not there's there was a few breaks, a few long breaks, but it's continuing. And uh, yeah, Camp Cretaceous really enjoyed this season. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to getting into the weeds with our panel of judges discussion people i don't know what we're calling this it's just gonna be a bunch of us jurassic fans just hashing this out and i cannot wait to get into it me neither so let's go ahead and bring in some of the other folks that are gonna be joining us on this discussion uh joining us from channel 1138 he is the host of the delayed replay podcast been a long time listener of our program and he's back for more fun please welcome steven schinder to the show Hello, how's it going, all you listeners in Jurassic Land? Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this new season of Camp Cretaceous with all of you here. Um, I, I enjoyed this one more than the first one, so I'm really um, excited to go into like what we loved and just hear everyone else's thoughts. Yeah, there, there's probably going to be a little bit of a split room to, on the debate between season one and season two from the impressions that I gathered from the group chat. But all of that will be hashed out and a little bit more as we get into the evening. Joining us for this discussion, he is a renowned YouTuber and a good friend of ours. He's done a lot of stuff talking about Raptors, and he's got the name Raptor in his YouTube username, it's Chris Abbott himself, the Star Raptor. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, man, what an introduction. But that is true. Star Raptor stems from my love of Jurassic Park. From a kid getting the toys, five years old, I had the Jurassic uh, Park, like the fenced-in enclosure, and I was playing with my puppy at the time that couldn't even actually get out of the fenced-in enclosure. That's how tiny she was back then. Aww. So yeah, I've, been a, I've been a lifelong Jurassic Park fan, and I'm so ready to talk about this season. It's going to be a lot of fun. So am I. I actually just went and back and did a quick rewatch because it's only eight episodes. They're less than a half hour long. I got off work a little early. So this is super fresh on my mind. And trying to stay fresh, it's almost 5 a.m. on a Saturday out there by where he is, but he stayed up to be able to join us for this podcast. That should let you know just how invested he is in the Jurassic franchise and how much he wanted to be a part of this program. He's a YouTuber. He is a Star Wars fan. He is on just about every social network you can find talking about the Jurassic franchise, talking about Star Wars, and so much more. He's been a longtime listener of the IPC podcast, and we're so excited to have him. It's Dan Grievous. Dan, welcome to the show. Hello there. Thank you for the wonderfully, very nicely put introduction and description. I couldn't have described myself better. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, I'm a communications major, so I guess I have to practice my communicating every now and then, right? Uh, I'm, oh, I'm, it was perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm working on getting my master's degree, and I should have it by December. So I'm kind of excited that I'm almost done with school after having been in school for like 10 years or something like that. So I'm glad that all of that is finally paying off in the form of introductions on a podcast, <laughs> but very excited to have you on the show, man. And back for more Jurassic fun. He has been part of 1138 previously with the star Wars wastelands show. He has been on this podcast a time or two or four or five or 10. And uh, he's back to talk about dinos with us one more time. 
it's kind of funny. We actually met on Channel 1138, found out that we lived in the same part of the state of Texas, started hanging out in person, and just became like best buds. And so I'm very, very excited to bring in one of my best friends, present company excluded, Ben, obviously, but I'm so offended. He and I, oh my gosh, cancel culture. Goodness gracious. Um, I am, I'm very, very excited to have him back on the show because every time we're talking about dinosaurs, it's like this man's eyes just light up. You can tell how much he loves dinos and how much he loves this franchise. Please welcome Mr. Armando Stefano de Ercole to the show. Whoa, what's going on, everybody? He may have had one or may may have had one or two energy drinks before the show. May have a little bit of beer in his system right now. So this will be this will be really excellent, dude. I'm I'm excited hey, to have you. And I'm excited to be here, man. Uh, Steven, Chris, Dan, uh, Ben, of course. Uh, thank you so much for the invite. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, I really look forward to to talking about this tonight. Camp Cretaceous season two, uh, season one was an awesome conversation. Uh, and this is going to be an incredible journey uh, over the next couple of hours to discuss this. So I'm really, really looking forward to all of that. Dude, so what do we got first? You, you, you put it. You put it very, very well. And you know what, what's funny is during our. I wouldn't say funny, haha. More like like funny, interesting. This is like a fun fact type of thing. We were actually intending to have Dan with us for the season one discussion. And we called him like seven or eight times, but I don't think he had coffee last time, but he does this Ooh, time around. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, the, the ever-powerful coffee makes a world of difference when it comes to burning the, the candle as late as he has done for this show this time around. So, dude, I thought it would be fitting to just get people caught up on season one if they don't remember what happened or if they haven't watched the show, that kind of thing. Um, would you mind walking us through some of the stuff that happened in season one and like give us some of your thoughts that maybe you didn't get to express on the last podcast? That'll help people get caught up and give you the floor to talk about the stuff you liked from season one. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yes, thank you for giving me this opportunity to come back uh, after my failed attempt to join you last time. So I would have failed so too, buddy, to believe me. No, 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 no. I... It, it, that was entirely my fault. I saw the messages afterwards, like I was being like stranded on a desert island and being messaged SOS, SOS. Where are you? Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, I, I, I would be more than happy to, uh, you know, describe and detail the awesomeness that was the first season. That I'm actually, I was. It exceeded all my expectations because I thought because I was walking into this. First season of Camp Cretaceous, I was like, when I saw the first season, I saw the Velociraptor, I was excited for the dinos, and I was a little, like, hesitant when I saw the humans in the first trailer, but the first season just proved me entirely wrong, and I love it when I'm wrong, and that's in the benefit, and it benefits everybody if I'm wrong. So, in this case, oh my, it's like, they do, like... I I at least personally enjoyed the first season more than I did. Maybe that's kind of an exaggeration, but I did enjoy it more than the last two live-action movies, Jurassic World and Falling Kingdom, because it does a lot of things that the franchise has already done, but with a little 
unique twist that I personally really like because if you have a franchise that has existed for 30 years and it's not like Star Wars or or Transformers that has this universe that it, it, it explore, you have this one, maybe two islands, depending on how you view the canon of Jurassic Park slash world. And I just love what I saw. We, uh, the series does begin calmly with the introductions of all our characters. You know, we have the rich kid, you know, the, the popular kid. Okay, sorry. I, I'm not going to go and criticize that we have, like, uh, archetypes in the show, like every kid's show does. But if we, if we have to be fair and judging this season and this show compared to the movies, all movies in the franchise have this, um, how, how do I say it, have this um, uh, knack to maybe make these cookie-cutter characters that we do, you know, it's easier to, like, uh, describe or judge or discern. It's not like something that you have to sp spend a three-hour essay deciding if, you know, something like Darth Vader, who is complicated, broken, and complex... Some of these, like the villains in the franchise or some of the side characters, are just, you know, there to serve their purpose. And initially I thought that was going to be the problem, but as the series went on and as each event, each episode unfolded, things changed and we got to know each of these kids better and better and just it made for a very compelling show, especially what they did with Darius. I'm still blown away what they did with Darius in, in the first season. Because neither the original, neither Fallen Kingdom, neither, I'm, I'm you know, describing it out of order. But none of them had the guts to do what this season did. Because a lot of children's media usually, not usually, but a lot of times try to downplay or avoid very touchy subjects that are really, well can lead to very problematic uh, like uh, depiction, but they handled it with tasteful, you know, it, they handled it tastefully. And it was really touching how, and very, actually I got really almost teared up because it, it was really well executed. And, and I'm talking about the whole, you know, Darius's father scene in the hospital. And you know that he has passed away after that. And, it, it's it's really, I don't know, I've never felt like this during any of the live-action movies, which it's not a, a dig at the movies, but it's a praise for this little TV show that we just, I was initially ready to, you know, go in, you know, hesitant, but I was more than, you know, happy with what I got. So everything unfolds. The series, the first season, runs almost, you know, parallel to the movie, the first movie, Jurassic World movie. And everything, you know, we see, like, a little, like, the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith, like, they correspond, we see events from the movie from the eyes of our, you know, our, um, you know, protagonists of the series. And I actually like how they just show all these moments of 
of terror and, and especially the things that I did not expect them to actually tack, tack, uh, you know, tackle, especially the, the death scenes and, and all the, the carnage, because I thought that they were going to, you know, maybe stay away, but that, that would have taken away from the show. And you do get the Indominus Rex breaking out. We get more detail into what happens. We meet familiar characters, new characters like, you know, poor Eddie, that SOB who just wanted a birthday, I guess, and we learn more about him <laughs> later. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and a lot of things get, you know, mentioned. We get something that I really like because we didn't get that much into it in Fallen Kingdom because that movie had a different agenda to get to, especially with the Indoraptor and stuff. This show explored what happened to the island right after it. So we do get, you know, the aftermath. Everybody has is about to leave. They think they're going to get it. Even I thought that the series was going to go there and they were going to leave the island. Maybe the next season is going to pick up where Fallen Kingdom starts. But I was wrong. So we do get, you know... We do encounter the, uh, okay, sorry, I'm just, uh, there's so, so much happens in, in the first season that I, I probably not going to be able to properly describe the whole season. But our characters encounter almost every iconic dinosaur from the Jurassic World movie, except the T-Rex. The T-Rex is saved only for the intro and the second season. So the, our heroes manage almost just barely managed to evade the, the, the Carnotaurus. They evade the Mosasaurus in, a, in several very, very action-packed moments. Unfortunately, they miss it. They miss the boat, and I was shocked that they left the children on the island. Mm -hmm. Wow. Even though I was thinking that that was like, how, how are they going to you know, do this? But as the, the whole thought of, you know, these kids surviving on the island, I'm reminded that this, this is like what happened in Jurassic Park 3, which uh, is actually my second favorite Jurassic Park slash world movie. And uh, I'm just happy that I'm experiencing what I experienced with Jurassic Park 3, but in a whole new and more complex and more interesting way. You know, because, uh, so, and, um, sorry if I'm a little rambling at this time, but, you know, it's, it's, it's later than usual, but everything I got from season one was more than I could have ever hoped from such series. And I would have loved this when I was a kid, you know, a, a wee, wee little Dan Grievous just, uh, enjoying his dinosaurs, but maybe it would have been traditional animation. And, uh. <laughs> The animation is beautiful. The dinosaurs feel like they were just taken uh, from Ireland Studios and just a little downgraded the models. And we get all these beautiful moments. And sometimes the series looks so photorealistic that I, especially in season two, but in season one, they also do these beautiful shots, like landscape shots and some dinosaur shots that, that look something that you could see in the movies because... A lot of times the movies are just a lot of a lot of CGI, especially later on. But yeah, so we do get a lot of action-packed moments. The kids barely survive 
several encounters with Carnotauruses, Indominus Rex that creep, and uh, they get stuck on the island, which I love. And it opens so many awesome opportunities for the future. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if this is a good recap, but uh, there's no, so, much, yeah. so much emotions that I have to, you know. No, dude, it's, it's, it's so excellent. Much. It's excellent. You you touched on just about everything that I was hoping that you would touch on from from the from the different archetypes to uh, the the photorealism to the escape tactics that they use, the addressing difficult subjects. Like those are all things that we talked about the previous time that we discussed this show. And I'm I'm glad that you know we were all pretty much on the same page as that. And I, I appreciate you kind of letting us pick up where where you left off because season two is is almost like a direct turnaround you know they're still running from the dinosaurs they're still trying to find a safe haven they're still trying to to figure out what their next step is it's almost like season two just picks up the same day or the next day or something Mm -hmm. like that or just a couple of days later and takes us you know on 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 an adventure that is still very similar and yet also still very different because in the first season, we had them actually attending the camp. You had camp counselors, even if they weren't around half the time, you still had them. You know, you you had this experience of the park kind of falling apart, uh, the way that you saw it in the Jurassic World movie. Now we've kind of got like a clean slate. You know, the park is destroyed, the dinos are loose, and the kids are still there. Now what? And I think that was one of my favorite parts about season two was just the the blank slate that the writers and creators had, you know, there, there was really not much to go off of aside from, you know, the kid who had been left alone on Ila Sorna in Jurassic park three. Aside from that, this was really not a story that had been told very much in the Jurassic franchise. And so that uh, creative Liberty that they took was something that I was really excited to explore. And I would say for the most part they delivered, but I'm really curious to hear everyone else's thoughts as well. Ben, I'm going to toss it to you first, and we'll go around to some other folks as well. Uh, but what were your initial impressions on Camp Cretaceous Season 2? I I really enjoyed this season. I, I'm not sure how I would rank it against the other season. I think the first season was really strong. Um, I think this season had... It kind of had this, the deck stacked against it in regards to like what what Dan was talking about with like what was so great about season one was like it was kind of interfacing with Jurassic World and like showing you kind of a different perspective. And I personally, I enjoy Jurassic World. I like I like it as a Jurassic Park movie. And so getting the other side of that and getting some more info on like what's going on and what's happening when you're not thing and and seeing how it interfaced with that movie was really great. You didn't get that with this movie uh, this season, obviously because. Things are over and you're kind of moving on and it's kind of like left adrift to kind of do whatever they could. You know, obviously the writers didn't have the parameters they did with the first season. They're kind of like, okay, and knowing where it goes, you're like, okay, they kind of have to just bide their time, not necessarily waste time, but like they can't they can't have the kids go home, but they don't know what to do with them. I think even so, I think they did a really great job of like showing and give us kind of a it's not like a it's not dumbed down. It's not like it's like, it feels like a real like situation where like they're just trying to survive and they're trying to get through this. And it's really, I think really well done. And, and what happens, I think in giving us in tr- classic Jurassic park fashion, 
it's you know the dinosaurs are not the villains here they are just bystanders basically the humans are the villains again right it's great storytelling and it's great in the sense of in the great mythic style of jurassic park that uh you know the monsters really aren't the dinosaurs the monsters are the humans who are doing this crazy stuff and in this in this case trying to you know trophy hunt dinosaurs so I think it was really well done. I think this season, and I, you know, I was, I, I kind of saw it coming that like they're gonna drag this out a little bit more. You know, obviously, you know, they got two seasons out of it. I was with Dan. I'm like, they missed the boat. What? Like, end season one. Like, you're not, you're, you're expecting it to go the right way, and it doesn't. So when you're getting into season two, it's like, okay, is this gonna drag out a bit more? Obviously, it is. But I'm looking forward to season three because obviously we're getting some setup there. What's in that tank? Who knows? But uh, I enjoyed this season very much. Oh, man. So many things to unpack. <laughs> and so many people helping us unpack it in so little time. Uh, Steven, I'm going to toss it over to you next. What are your thoughts, overall impressions, on season two? Yeah, so Ben mentioned something about season one interfacing with the movie pretty well. But for someone like me who just, like, forgets the movies, like, I never, uh, like, like I wasn't really honing in on, like, oh, this interfaces of that part of the movie, et cetera, et cetera. So it wasn't like Star Wars Resistance where it starts to feel better once it's interacting with the films. Like, um, so I feel like season two it felt liberating how it could break free of having to interface with the film. Um, and it actually now reminds me more of Star Wars Rebels than Star Wars Resistance, because you get these relationships with the characters who feel a lot like a family, and there are some things that happen that are kind of surprising that they go there. Like, uh, I wasn't expecting a couple of the deaths that w we've gotten in this show. Um, and it's like, yeah, they're not glossing over that this stuff could happen. Like, um, and, uh, like, overall, I love how the characters do not feel as much like caricatures as they did in the first season. It feels like they've grown because they're tossed into this situation where they're forced to survive together and they're getting to know each other better because if you remember one of the big moments in season one was when i think sammy asked whether or not they were friends because like she assumed that they were but they were just all people who were in the same place at the same time but in this season it's like there's no d doubt at all that they are all friends now they all know each right. other better right um yeah um yeah and there were like a couple i guess we'll get to like some of the other stuff as we get further down in the show notes but yeah overall a very solid season like i i think this is even my favorite thing in the like season two specifically is my favorite thing in the jurassic franchise now because wow. yeah because i've quite notoriously said I think the movies are okay and that the Telltale game was my favorite, but now I think season two has, like, topped all of that. Oof. Man. <laughs> I think I need to revise the settings on our show notes. <laughs> because I'm going through this going, okay, season one, recap and thoughts, 
parentheses, sexy voice. <laughs> Season two impressions. Mondo's great. <laughs> and then discussing some of these other points underneath, you know, talking about maybe the new dinosaurs that we get to see. I just see a little phrase that says, Mondo was here. <laughs> Golly. I leave you alone for two minutes, dude. Two minutes. If that. Reminded of the rise of Skywalker. Always in the shadows from the very beginning. He was Mondo. Uh, no kidding. He could have done worse, honestly. (laughs) Oh, I could have, and maybe I plan on it. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'm going to have to go edit the settings or something. No, you're not. No, you're not. (laughs) Watch me. (laughs) Please don't. Please. (laughs) Well, then, why don't Mondo's Great give us season two impressions? But tell us, tell us what you thought specifically of season two of Camp Cretaceous. Yeah, of course, man. So season two, Camp Cretaceous was, I loved it. It, it did so many things great. So it, I feel like we're kind of beat to death. The fact that season one uh, was really close to the, the events of Jurassic World, you know, paralleled with them but from a different perspective, a different point of view, and a little different angle. But what I loved about season two was it cre- it started off its own new story. Mm-hmm. So, and since you have that connection with the first movie, like I'm, I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, oh, wow. So, you know, the, the scene in... Jurassic World, when they all come together in the hangar and they're all reuniting with their families and their loved ones and things like that after the events, there's a family out there. There's families out there that think their kids are dead. Like you would have to assume yeah. at this point, they're, they've come to the conclusion their kids, unfortunately and tragically, did not make it out of Jurassic World. But wait, hold on. These kids are badasses. Okay, I'm sorry. Can I say that? Can I say, can I say <laughs> yeah. that word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We've said we've said the okay. ass word on this show before. Just okay. bleep it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So those kids are bad bleepers, okay? And and what happens is they, they come together and they they learn skills, uh, survival skills, and they use survival skills and they use each other. But some of the other things that happen during this season, and we're going to go into those later, according to the show notes that clearly state, <laughs> I'm great. But it just so many awesome things. And I felt like the storytelling kind of took the first season and it ramped it up. And I thought that was really cool. But what I also like about it is, look, re- the reality is, is this show is more of a kid show. Okay. Yeah, you know it's got it's animated, uh, but 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 hold on, it does a fantastic job of appealing to an older audience as well with some of the things that do happen. You know, Dan mentioned it about season one. It takes things that are tragic that can offer, I'll say, nightmare fuel for kids, and it still utilizes them, but in a way that's a little more tasteful. But we all know. That folks getting eaten. All right. As adults, we know that, mm, well, he's dinner. And, but they, they didn't shy away from that. And that is awesome. So 
I really liked it. I, I thought it was fantastic. I'm looking forward to season three. Uh, and what I'm looking forward to more is, and, I, and Zach, I think you brought this up to me, and I had already kind of felt it as well. Depending how long this show gets greenlit for, mm-hmm. uh, you can start to see them maybe get onto other islands. Because, you know, let's, let, you know, we all know Jurassic World, Jurassic Park, whatever the um, version of it is, has multiple sites. Right. Right? And they're different, they're different creatures on different sites. So that would be something to look forward to. But I want to circle back, and I did, and I did kind of skip over something, is what it also does is you kind of pay attention. It does have the kid aspect of, of like certain lessons that a kid show would have, right? Like teamwork and honesty and survival and overcoming and perseverance. And those are things that are in adult movies as well. But it really kind of, I think there are a couple of them that, kind of drive it home a little bit more because of the nature of the intended audience. Uh-huh. But overall, fantastic. Loved it. Can't wait to hear what everybody else says. Who's next? I believe that would be the man with Raptor in his name, Star Raptor. What are your thoughts on season two, sir? Okay, so yeah, everybody's had excellent thoughts so far. I think uh, mine will be the most divisive out of oh. everybody's. Uh-oh. So, Here we go. <laughs> Buckle up, kiddies. So- Somebody has to be that guy. Um, you do it, and I will mess up these show notes so bad you oh, won't even know what happened no. to them. <laughs> well, I, I have some good things and some not good things to say about this series, so, or at least this season. So the season one, I really enjoyed. I thought it was awesome. They were able to tie in events with the Jurassic World and really create this this universe in TV format for Jurassic Park like Dan was saying, I wish I was a kid and had something like this to watch back then. Would have been great. But hey, better late than never. So we get into season two, and I feel like a lot of the things that I really liked about season one um, were kind of absent from from the season. I didn't feel as connected um, to the characters. And and we we talked about a little bit earlier about how some of these uh, characters or storylines like Darius's uh, father and all that were like really big. Like I didn't expect moments in in the first season that set it apart from like your average kind of show aimed for a younger audience or whatever. Um, I just don't feel like we got enough of of those like kind of heavier moments in the show. And I do understand that it's a kids show, but they've done it already, so I wanted to see a little bit more of that. Um, but as far as uh, certain specific moments here, like the villains. I, I appreciate that we're bringing in villains, but man, these guys were just so dumb. Like, I just couldn't... It was just, like, not even comical dumb for me. It was just like, oh my gosh, I'm, like, face-palming watching uh, some of the episodes. Uh, I, I didn't really hear a lot of the John Williams score. I think that's one of the cool things about season one, was you you really get that tight... Um, close feeling with with jurassic park the the films that where it's all in the same universe because you see that repeated uh pretty good like it was repeated a lot but they did it i thought in a pretty good way where i, I barely heard any of it uh this season uh, as far as the dinosaurs i will say some some nice things here the dinosaurs were really cool 
the Baryonyx, I, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Really cool dinosaur. I, I appreciate that they brought in this species um, that that is kind of close to a Velociraptor, but, you know, obviously bigger than them. And it's cool that there was like a trio of them or it was like kind of like they're all like brothers or sisters or whatever. And they kind of kept coming into the picture throughout the, the season and had a big payoff at the end um, with these really, really um, evil humans um, that were messing with them throughout the time there. I think that the character relationships um, themselves, um, seeing a lot of these characters in pairs throughout the different storylines did a great job of actually enhancing the characters. We were introduced to characters. We find that their backgrounds in the first season. And just like any other great TV show, they are able to enhance and expand on them in further seasons. So it did a really great job with putting the characters that, that you didn't think would work very well together and putting them through certain challenges where they come out on the other side of that and, and really feel like they uh, really went through something that would make them grow. Uh, uh, and also the, the biggest thing for me and, and the reason why I don't like this season as much as season one is there wasn't that kind of tension um, that I got from the first season. It was not as terrifying of moments that we had in season one. And some things just were taking me out of it. <laughs> I mean, they were really taking me out of it. It's like they, the first episode, they're just like having a pizza party and the open wide area where any kind of dinosaur could come through. There was so many moments in the show where like the kids were like yelling, walking through the jungle. Like, why would you be like raising your voice like an idiot? There's like carnivore dinosaurs everywhere. So like, I don't know for me, like that was like really taking me out of the experience. Uh, I don't feel like we had quite as many moments like those that were, that were in season one. So yeah, I mean, some of these moments could probably seem like they're a little bit nitpicky. Um, but I mean, I'm just speaking for myself just saying that all these things compounded up on top of one another made it so I couldn't enjoy this quite as much as season one. I am enjoying uh, the series as a whole. And like we said before, you guys were saying, hey, maybe they can go to different islands. I really want to see them go to like Isla Sorna where Jurassic World was or, or the Lost World was. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's what I'm thinking so far. And, you know, the whole point of having roundtables is we bounce each other's uh opinions off of one another and maybe by the end of this i'll actually end up end up giving it a higher score than i gave it on my own youtube channel so that's the the great thing about doing these kind of roundtables so those are my initial thoughts not saying that's going to be my final thoughts but we'll see where it goes we shall right, see. Let me just crack my knuckles here and explain why you're wrong. <laughs> well, okay, so I, I was listening to this, and you know what? Riptar does have a point, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Oh. Well, that's right. a compliment, though. Reptar is amazing. <laughs> Reptar yes, is but... the Rugrats, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 So, so Reptar Crunch over here, he brought up a couple of good points. Um you know, the, uh, the kids yelling, but you know what? I kind of feel like that is something that shows their age, right? Because they're kids. They're, 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 I guess they're tweens, something. They're, they're kind of young. So they might not be as like, shh. Okay, we got to keep quiet. They're going to be a little more rambunctious. They're going to be a little more energetic. And they're going to be a little more, uh, I dare say, reckless at times. So I kind of feel like that's. That might have something to do with it, and that might be what they're illustrating. I will 100% agree 
and I did forget to mention this, is season two did not leave me puckered as much as season one. Puckered? Please explain. Yeah, puckered. You know, like don't, you're, you're don't ask him to explain that. Please don't ask. Him <laughs> yeah, that's true. Then it goes from a PG thirteen discussion to an X rated <laughs> discussion. It's a no. family show. Well, yeah, puckered. That's why I said puckered. Okay. Puckered. Okay. okay. Well, we still have one more person's thoughts to get that don't involve the word pucker. Hopefully, I think I've heard that about as much as I would hope to hear from it tonight. But uh, pucker, 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 mother pucker, shut up. Um, we still have one more person to hear from initial impressions, and then we can jump into uh, the round table, possibly address some of the the, the compliments and concerns, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, Dan, you, you talked to us about season one. Now talk to us about season two. How do they stack up against one another? What did you think of this second installment? Gladly. Uh, thank you. Yes. Now, I did uh, ramble on about the first season and what I thought about it. Uh, there were a lot of things in the first season that are missing in the first uh, in, in the second season. But I could, you know, confidently say that with everything, you know, it has to offer, season two actually does compensate with anything we have lost from this first season. It does give us a lot of other moments, which we're going to get into, especially one thing that I will miss very much, and that is, you know... Uh, Little Bumpy, because I am a sucker for Baby Bumpy, because Baby Bumpy yep. is better than Grogu, and I'm really Ooh. bummed that we are no longer <laughs> gonna see Ooh. Baby Bumpy. That so, is that is a hot take. Hot take. I know, I know. I, I'm gonna die on this hill if I have to. But the thing is, I love these two seasons equally because they're two halves of the same. Okay, no, that's not the best. It's this show, while as long as it lasts, is going to be one delicious dinosaur cake. And we're just getting one piece of a greater cake. Because season one is its own thing. But I think season two, as much as we love to view it, I think we're going to view it, especially if if season three goes wherever like we have all discussed already where it might go. We might view season two as the Empire Strikes Back or Attack of the Clones of this series, and it's just setting up the future because we didn't get much resolve. Even like the things from the first season, like, am I the only one who was still freaked out that there were mammoth bones being, you know, dissected and inspected by Doctor Wu in the first season, and they are still not, you know, maybe it's just an Easter egg, but. I don't know, it's, it's, is it just me? But again, in this season, compared to the first season, we get all these dinosaurs, like you guys said, that are just there. They're just animals. They don't kill for sport. They're not, like, enjoying the killing, like, the, the disgusting indominus. Because I don't like these hybrids. I'm not a fan of the hybrid ideas. So they introduce all these dinosaurs, especially when they try to make some of them sympathetic and make us like, oh, that thing is going to die? Oh, come on, no. And even the T-Rex trying to, hu okay, quote-unquote, humanize it, 
is much more like compelling than than the all the chaos and mayhem because uh, that the Inominus brought because we know what that bring fringish, figgish, diggish, druggish thing was. It was a killing machine that was enjoying its killing, while the the T-Rex, the 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 baryonic side, baryonic cis, baryonic cis, I, I'm still not sure how the plural is for baryonic cis, but the three bari- members of the baryonic species, they also express like these, these almost, okay, I'm not going to even go that far, but human traits, like, or at least typical animal traits that we might see and more evolved beings, not like cockroaches or something, but like uh, wolves and, and cats, and they they really offer this these new perspective and 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 interesting new dynamics with the creatures and not just being chased by them because that's one one of the things I don't like overall about I don't want to be negative because I do enjoy all these okay the Lost World is my least favorite movie even though it has the gold room but um, you know uh, this whole season felt like Jurassic Park three but explored even better because Jurassic Park 3 did skip over Eric Kirby's, uh, you know, uh, cruise, uh, you know, castaway moment and survival. And we're getting this in detail and we get it because that is the thing of the first season. There was a chance they were going to get out here. There's no chance, especially after the boat gets destroyed. There's no chance. I mean, even though they say, oh, we have to get off this island. How are you gonna get to the shore in a raft? I mean, that's that gives credence to what uh, uh, you know, Chris and and, and Stephen and, and you are, are saying. There is more possibility that they might go to the other islands like Isla Sorna and maybe explore Site B where the, the dinosaurs were bred. And it just and it does offer all these new possibilities and all these possibilities that are different. From the <clears throat> sorry, from the first season, and that's what I like because there's almost no rehash, and it does things that I've always wanted uh, the, the Jurassic World and Jurassic Park movies to do, and it it doesn't. Especially like the treehouse, that is exactly what I was thinking as a kid when I was watching those movies. Never, never be like the human villains who are morons for making yurtas on the ground where everything is going to kill you, eat you, and spit you out. No, go to the high ground. Do what Jeff Goldblum does. Go to the high high. Don't stay on the ground. That that was the most... In, like, this is why... Yeah. Like, like, and I'm sure there are people who did this. I've seen, like, there was that horror movie back in the 90s or 80s, I think, with the lions. Like, everybody's on the ground sleeping in tents. We've seen this play out. We all die. So that is why I love that the kids work together. And uh, like, there were uh, there were little payoffs because so far, if they don't introduce uh, reintroduce Darius's brother in this uh, series or just leave him for the um, hopefully distant ending of this series, uh, there were you know callbacks to the first season like connections like. Uh, <clears throat> they found the necklace, which meant a lot because he lost it in the first season. And uh, so far, these these characters are growing and growing, and there's still so much 
much to offer because this this whole season is great on its own, but it's a setup that I also enjoyed, and I'm gonna you know look forward to season three when it, everything pays off. You know, and I do have. Uh, by the way, I did see about something. I think we're gonna discuss the uh, twist. It's not the twist, but the teaser at the end at the lab. So, yeah, this this season just builds on the first one. It establishes and gives us more new things. And especially, like, I do agree that uh, maybe Chris, has, uh, Chris does have a point that they are dumb. But a lot of villains, especially ba- bad people in this franchise, have been the dumbest of dumb. And and and, and yep. I'm sorry. I have seen dumb in my life, in my real life, in my real world life. People like, especially when people criticize some movies, like, "Oh, that character is not developed enough," or "That villain is very stereotypical." People can be one-dimensional pieces of cardboard cutouts, and that's it. They can be just motivated by one one emotion, one desire, and that's it. Like these pieces of garbage, because humans who hunt animals to the brink of extinction for just freaking trophies are the lowest scum maybe next to humans who spoil the endings of games before the games are being released. Um, <laughs> so, and uh, I don't know, it's it's a very different breed, basically, of season. So it's, it's hard to judge at this point. I think we're going to look at it differently when season three comes out, hopefully. But I did. I really, 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 really loved it, and everything it it did for uh, the show. And kind of, uh, I'm gonna get into that later. But for the series as, as a whole, as a franchise. Well, I, I think now's a good time to just kind of open up the floor to some of the hot button issues that uh, maybe were highlights for some, and potentially lowlights for others. Um, I feel like there were a lot of things that were brought up during the initial impressions that are worth kind of vibing off of. And I think the villains are probably one of the big topics Uh, we talked about, you know, in in Mm -hmm. some impressions, the thought process was how novel is it that instead of, you know, running away from the Indominus in the first season to now we're running away from people in the second season, you know, humanity is the villain. And that's kind of been one of the central themes of the Jurassic franchise. You know, you take a look at, uh, even John Hammond could be seen as a villain in, in some regards that he brought them back to life without any regard for their, their life or their, or their freedoms, you know, and then his, uh, his nephew in the second movie was, was trying to, to monetize off of them. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of instances in the Jurassic franchise where, you know, money and greed and self-absorption, you know, those types of, you know, very common human traits end up becoming a, a prominent part of what goes on in the Jurassic franchise. And with Mitch and Tiff specifically, you know, for them, it, it was almost no different. But I feel like what could be the issue isn't necessarily the theme so much as the execution what did you guys make of the introduction of Mitch and Tiff and the role that they played in this season? Okay, so these two characters are very interesting because we're getting a look at something that I always thought about in my mind when it comes to people leaving Jurassic World and Jurassic Park. I was like, you'd think there'd be people flocking to those places to like 
capture the dinosaurs to hunt them because just people are evil and Dan spoke pretty good about all that but that was something that I've always imagined like oh they, they got to have a storyline in some book or something like that uh that that'll play out so that I appreciated yeah I think I think the whole idea of like something I hadn't considered was like just people just showing up on this island especially mm-hmm. after it's been completely abandoned like that makes total sense. Like those two showing up and doing that whole thing, despite the whole like setting up tents on the ground, just like, how are you doing this? And I, I agree. I agree. I think you, you, Chris said like earlier, like the, the whole like calm that people have like on the island. I couldn't, if I was anywhere on that island, I would be stressed out one yeah. all day, <laughs> yeah. every day. I couldn't rest, couldn't sleep, could nothing. Just being on that island, knowing that any moment you could get eaten. Uh, but, but people on that island just see me, you know, no big deal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I love I love that they kind of brought this out and go like, you know, because you have, look at the start of Fallen Kingdom. You have guys going there and they're, you know, harvesting the bones of the Indominus and getting there. And they're kind of, I don't really think they're up and up, do, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they're kind of stealing this stuff and getting in. And so, like, I like the idea of kind of going off of that and seeing, like, okay, yeah, people would actually be doing this. This was something that was actually happening. And, yeah, people, trophy hunters, <laughs> pretty, pretty, uh, not the most upstanding people, in my opinion. And, of course, they would hunt dinosaurs. That obviously would be a thing in this universe. Yeah, so when Mitch and Tiff were introduced, uh, I... I knew, like, I saw, like, miles away that, okay, yeah, these are the baddies. I, I know what you're doing, TV show. I've seen the Wild Thornberries movie. Um, but because they were, because I inferred that they were the baddies and that the show was focusing way too much on Hap steaming mean, I predicted that Hap would turn out to be, like, the good guy out of the trio, and that ended up being right, correct, and... So I thought that was an interesting subversion, even if it might have been predictable in the end. But I did appreciate how he was able to, like, by the end, he was trying to, like, help the kids. And it's like, whoa, is he actually dead? Like, like when you think back to, like, what happens, it's like that could be a possibility. And we see, like, Mitch and Tiff end up dead. And I was surprised at how that went down. It was, like, really... um like they really didn't gloss over that. Uh, and as far as Jurassic uh, Park slash world villains, it, it, I'm having difficulty remembering some of the villains in the movies, but like, have they ever been has a, okay. So have the villains in these, in the movies ever been known for being super well-written and compelling? Cause when I think Jurassic mm. Park villain, the image that comes to my head is, Dennis Nedry, you know, Wayne Knight's goofy ass character. And it's like, okay, yeah, there's not much to a Jurassic villain uh, when when I think of one. So, like, I, I don't know. Are there any, like, super compelling Jurassic villains that I'm not remembering? I feel like in oh. terms of villains, Dennis Nedry is kind of the gold standard in villains. Yes. And he's... He's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's pretty much an idiot that has this grand scheme that just totally falls apart because he's an idiot. 
So well, like he's a minion, you know, so he doesn't have a grand scheme. He's a minion. So he he if I have to compare Dennis Nedry to somebody, he is the um Ochia Bestoon of the star of the of this universe. <laughs> oh, so like super useless and shoehorned. Okay, yeah. No, and he dies <laughs> and doesn't get the job done completely. So um, here's the thing about these villains that, at least in comparison to all the other cartoony villains, because, like I said, not all humans in in the, in fiction and in real world are complex and developed. I'm sorry, even real-world humans can be one-note idiots. Oh, yeah. Like, I have seen that. It's depressing, but it, it exists. There are people who are just mindless, like, like Westworld robots. So the thing with these villains that really, really just creep me out, especially because they present them, especially, uh, you know, they look, and especially they're dressed, like uh, like Dr. Alan, Dr. Alan Grant, Ellie Sattler, and kind of looks like Jeff Goldblum because he's all black and, you know, all that. They're dressed like the protagonist. We're shown, and because they look like something from our nostalgic past, we're tried like, oh, look, they look like our favorite heroes, but of course they're not because they're just a twisted mirror image of what, you know, our heroes could have been because at, at, uh, the characters, because Michael Crichton, Michael Crichton's book, most of the characters in the book are jerks. Even Hammond and all the other ones, what we get in the movies is Spielberg magic because he likes to humanize even the biggest of jerks. And I'm not going to say a nasty word. But the thing is, these these villains are like they do get the job done. Like, I've never felt, you know, even, uh, Den- I mean, my favorite is Den- Dennis Nedry. I mean, Dennis Nedry for the win. I mean, he is killed by my favorite dinosaur, and he is my favorite villain from the franchise. But I've never gotten the feeling that I'm afraid of any of these villains, especially Peter Ludlow, like, who dies like a chump by the little baby T-Rex or, or or Stark from the second movie who gets eaten by combies because they have poison and he goes for a piss and he never returns because he's a moron. And and all these villains and bad guys or even like uh, well the third one doesn't have villains that it has like betrayals but nobody gets actually killed off by a villain. Like you have the Spinosaurus but everybody is a mercenary. Like there's that guy uh, who gets killed by the Spinosaurus on the on the airfield, and he even like uh, uh, Cooper. His name was Cooper, like because Alan Grant was like Cooper, and then he gets eaten. Even he's not a villain, even though he knocks out Doctor Grant. These guys are the scum of the earth. They kill. They we we've seen other you know dinosaurs kill dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. We've almost never seen humans kill dinosaurs, and this was the most. This season had the most visceral death of a dinosaur I've seen in the franchise because the way they shot the poor Baryonyx, my goodness, these people deserved. She deserved what she got. She des- she she deserved worse. I'm sorry because that was horrifying. I mean, I know they they are animals and they you know she defended herself, but she did it out of anger. And she wanted that thing dead. 
she didn't like run or hide. She's these are scum. These, these out of all the villains in the franchise, these are the scummiest of the scummy, and they do the job. The, the for a show like this, they're more than like substantial and interesting, at least personally. Because, and I, I uh, maybe I am not the best judge of character because my favorite Star Wars villain and character is an orange politician who is a piece of shit. <laughs> piece of shiatsu. And, oh my and, my, and, and I sympathize with Newt Gunray, so I'm maybe not the best judge of character when it comes to villains. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And these villains, and especially, I'm sorry, that scene with the decapitated dinosaur on the table is one of the most awful, disgusting things I've seen in this franchise. Okay, because... qu- quick question: you. we don't we don't completely uncover whatever it was that was there. Are we sure that that was like a triceratops, or was that like a rhinoceros that they brought with them from their last no, voyage? No, no, that's a Stereachosaurus. That's one of the other dinosaurs that was from the first season, I think, and uh, that was disgusting because. Ew. I mean, I don't know. It, it, I, I, it was horrifying. And the way it was set up, like he was talking, like he was he was trying to seduce Darius to become like like them, to, to become a poacher, uh, uh, you know, who preys on innocent animals and just shoots them for, for trophies and leaves, like, I, I'm not going to get rid of it. It's disgusting. So, yeah. You're not wrong that it's it's I mean it's pretty pretty tough dark subject that they do and that like they it's not like they threaten to kill the dinosaurs they do kill like one of the baryonics and they yeah. try to kill more like so and and then the baryonics get their revenge eventually well, that was that was an interesting concept that dinosaurs well, can be vengeful I I never would have expected them to like go into the psychiatric side of dinosaur behavior i thought they would go to like the watering hole and that would kind of be it but to actually have a dinosaur species be vengeful that was a concept i wasn't expecting them to explore they stowed away on her ship and and okay one thing i have one question why can't like that boat is just kind of drifting offshore a bit why can't the kids just take that boat once the baryonyx get off the i'm pretty sure she engaged the motor so wherever it's going it's either going full speed out to sea or it's going to go full speed into a rock and be unusable my fault exactly maybe you know what i love the speculation earlier you guys were talking about just just to derail the whole conversation because i like to do that sure um uh I like the speculation regarding, like, okay, what about Site B? And I'm thinking, this is a big island. This is a, a lot of stuff going on there. You know, you see, you know, you see, you go in Jurassic World, you go over to, uh, you know, Chris Pratt's hangout, like he, where he lives. Like he lives on kind of a bayou thing. And, like, there's a lot of, like, settlements. Like, people live there, obviously, and work there. Like, well, surely there's boats there. Surely there is boats. That you can just grab that are just available mm, that you maybe. don't necessarily have to have like a raft. I'm thinking these kids may end up like saying, okay, we're going to get in this boat and we're just going to go off, not thinking that like a normal boat probably is not going to get them to shore. 
And well, maybe maybe they go and maybe they end up going to Site B accidentally. Like, oh, there's land. No, that's, that's no, another I, dinosaur island. Okay. No, I, I, so, I think... No, uh, sorry. I just want to mention this because I'm not sure we're going to get to this uh, in any, uh, any other way. But I don't think maybe next season we're going to get off the island, uh, this island. Because, I'm sorry, if this season, this series as a whole, does not, like... If other franchises can do it, like like any Marvel movie or Star Wars, especially, can go and revisit the past and just indulge in it. I'm sorry if this series does not go to the original visitor center and the original bunkers where we saw all our favorite Jurassic Park heroes. Then this show would have is gonna waste one of the best options and pro maybe even better than the first movie because the first movie did. Like Jurassic World did go to the visitor center, but it was all black and dark, and you barely, barely saw it. We can just see our heroes go to that place, hide in the visitor center, you know, see all those places in detail because it's a, you know, a, a season of eight episodes, and it's not like you have to rush it because you have two hours and that's it. So I think season three, we're still gonna be on the island. And maybe after that, hopefully, season four, season five, season six, season seven, hopefully more than the Clone Wars. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, but go ahead. Uh, sorry, sorry for being so rudely. Uh, no, oh, I'm yeah. just no. I'm just sitting here thinking about season seven of, of, <laughs> of Kev Cretaceous. The kids have like grown up and they're like adults now, and they're still trying to survive on this island. <laughs> just, just thinking. Okay, so, so well. Instead of uh, so, the Lost Mission, season six is Jurassic World, the Lost World. <laughs> well, okay, so, I, so I, I wanted to circle back to something Ben said about all the boats and how there's probably a lot of or there's some there. And then I, I, I would argue that, yeah, there probably is maybe a couple left around, but I wonder how many of those would have been used by people trying to escape the actual outbreak of Jurassic yeah. World 1. Maybe, yeah, possible. Because there was a there was a big evacuation procedure that happened during Jurassic World, and so you know maybe they weren't just using the ferries. Maybe they were using just about everything imaginable, trying to get personnel off, trying to get you know perishables off, which is why they had a hard time finding any decent food supply. Like as all hell was breaking loose, it would kind of be like you know if your if your ship was sinking, you're just trying to get to the nearest thing that could float that would mm -hmm. get you away from the sinking ship. I, I can definitely imagine that being the vibe that happened over the course of this movie. But, you know, I, I wish that we maybe could have gotten a little bit more of that. And I, and I feel like the only way we're going to get that is through Dave and Roxy. I don't feel like we are done with those two characters yet. Uh, no. I, I, I think by having Dave's mixtape or whatever being utilized... They wanted to keep those two actors around, and and hopefully we'll be able to see them trying to mount some sort of rescue mission over the course of the th of the third season. And my best guess would be that they make it to the island, but they don't make it off the island. And you're able to reintroduce mm -hmm. Dave and Roxy to the show, and they end up getting stranded with the kids to kind of increase the tension and the dynamic because now the kids have been there for so long they're kind of the more experienced ones and they're the ones telling Dave and Roxy what to do in order to survive. I think that would be a nice little twist to their already developed characters. 
you know, that it does amazing. It does beg the question, though, that like, OK, you had the events of Jurassic World. Indominus gets out. Some of the dinosaurs break free. It's kind of kind of hairy situation for a little bit. Mm-hmm. They evacuate the island and then just everybody leaves and they don't go back. Like, yeah, no return trips. Survivors or anything like that. They don't go back, you know, with, you know, armed guards to go, hey, let's go, you know, sweep for survivors or anybody that might got left behind. Like maybe some group of kids. Yeah. Yeah. They, they like um, instantly, instantly put the place under quarantine. And the only people that shows up are big game hunters that fake receiving the distress signal. So that's the other thing oh. is that distress signal still out there. Somebody else could still pick it up. Well, don't forget uh, another thing about these villains is that we, at least in in the like in the teasers and and maybe in in what when we first saw them, like I was thinking they were gonna be part of Manticore, the organization hinted at in the first season, yeah. and these guys were j- just a red herring, and we're still about to see another, you know possibly evil corporation that wants to exploit these dinosaurs or worse because a lot of things have been set up but none of none of them have been resolved and only right. more things are being you know piled up and introduced in the you know options for the future so i don't know i'm i'm optimistic because uh you know why my wild speculation is that uh that we are possibly going to get more human villains that are maybe going to be the main villains of this whole series because, um, you know, the kids, the first season was basically chronologically, it was taking place during the, the whole, you know, first few days of the collapse of Jurassic World. And I think they're trying to do in in the real world and in the universe they're trying to like that Jurassic World was destroyed in 2015 when the movie came out, and Fallen Kingdom went, came out three years later, and they went to the island three years later. So if that is the gap between the movies, and the kids don't get off the island until then, I don't know what there's so much to do. So, you know, there's only yeah, there's there's only so much that can be done on the island by six kids and whoever else shows up, which is why I think a lot of people on the panel tonight are in favor of the idea of something like going to site B, because it gives you the opportunity to bring the Spinosaurus into the mix, which, you know, the, the, the puppet work wasn't the best. But given what they did with the Indominus bringing in an animated Spinosaurus and letting that chase the kids around a little bit, that could bring in a whole new dynamic because now you don't really have much of a map to go off of. You'd have to create the map from scratch and you'd have new threats that you'd have to face like an Allosaurus or a Spinosaurus, which, you know, given the, the depth that that Island has the potential for, Mm -hmm. I would enjoy exploring that. But at the same time, I'm also enjoying the exploration that we're getting on this island so it's it's kind of a catch-22 yeah yeah uh while we're talking about dinosaurs specifically different ones i do want to shout out the the compies in this season were amazing because that was one of my i i grew up with the lost world because i wasn't i wasn't old enough to see jurassic park in in the theaters but lost world was the first one i seen and something about like that first scene with the little girl she's on the beach she goes and the compies are eating 
And then I think there was actually a deleted scene where you actually see them. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there was a deleted scene for Lost World where they have like another copy scene where they're eating somebody or something. Or they show more of that scene. It's extended or something like that. But anyway, so I really enjoyed seeing how many times these copies showed up. And they were kind of terrifying because if you don't know how to stand up against them, you're screwed. I mean, we see in The Lost mm-hmm. World, there they go to get that guy when he's going to take a piss. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> man, you see these dangerous guys. And like you see one. And then I forget what, what scene that was like in the actual series here, season two. And you just see them multiplying. Like they come out of the woodwork, and it's like, oh my gosh, these things are terrifying. So I really appreciated them really highlighting the compies, which really haven't gotten any of the spotlight since Lost World, really. Yes, that's yeah, true. Yeah, they were I like menacing the th- then. Yeah, I like the thread of the compies that, like, you know, they kind of one of them shows up. You're like, ah, whatever. And you're like, oh my god, there's 50 of them. Like, this could be, this could get really bad really quick. Well, and and seeing. Ben, the Ben in the show, not our Ben, <laughs> seeing the Ben in the show give off a mighty roar that scared off a little horde of them was kind of cool to watch. It's like, yeah, given the right circumstances and given the right conditions, even a single human would be enough to scare off a small pack of compies. Okay, speaking of Ben, we need to talk about Ben. Yep, we do. Not me, the Ben in the show. Ben, this is the real reason we're having this roundtable. It's actually an intervention because yeah. you suck. And oh. we're, we're, we're... <laughs> I mean, I knew that. You didn't have to Too get much together. Star Wars, Ben. You didn't you have got, to get together You to got banned this. from Facebook for a reason, Mr. Jammin, and you need... Look, I know. It's, it's been hard, man. <laughs> I mean, look, on the show notes, it said Mondo's great. It didn't say Ben's great for a reason. Okay. It's like poetry. It rhymes. But Ben, how great of a character development is that character? And the fact that they commit to the idea that Ben is gone and they spend several episodes like he's not here, he's he's dead. It's actually having a effect psychologically on the characters. Darius blames himself, you know. Oh, understandably, man. that first episode of season two where he thinks he sees him on the promenade and runs up to him. And then you realize yeah. it's just a dream. I was like, holy crap. They went there. Intense. Oh, so and then bringing him back and he's got big bumpy and, you know, he's a badass and he's he's all dirty and he doesn't have his hand sanitizer anymore. It's just and the whole episode they just devote to him, I think, is is wonderful. It's just really, really great. I love what they did with that, and and like just the character development of bringing him back, bringing Bumpy back, you know, yeah. and letting him. And then he, he chases Bumpy away, and it's so heartbreaking. And then Bumpy shows back up. It's just, it's great. Okay, so the episode Brave that we're going to mainly discuss is actually my favorite from this season, and uh, I just, I. Freaking love this episode, especially the way it's paced and the way it develops and the editing. The editing in this episode is absolutely brilliant because we get this like I don't know, almost groundhog dayish like existence of Ben on the island. Like he begins to lose it at one, especially when they just edit him during the night and when he's sleeping with his eyes open. It's just it's it's so. Uh, just it's it's I've never it's it's been a while I've related so much to a character especially because of this everything that's happening in the world right now. 
I I've never been so related to the character in a while in a while, especially in this franchise. And because in the first season I was ready to write Ben off as some you know annoying distraction because he was the annoying kid that is like uh, the the cleaning uh, the clean cleaning himself too much kid and he he again exceeded my expectations and he became incredible and even even though the whole you know bumpy like especially when he's like angry that bumpy's sleeping in his bed of leaves it's so adorable when bumpy's like lowering his it, it's it, uh, her body slowly slowly and then block sits and leaves and Ben's like ah and then uh, sadly uh, scares her off and, and then we never see baby bumpy again then we see bumpy the the one that destroys you know carnotauruses and uh this episode is just incredible. Personally, this episode alone is a whole, you know, a great reason to watch the whole, you know, season. Just it's, it elevates the whole season to a new level because the interactions with the other characters are great. But seeing one kid like Eric Kirby from Jurassic Park Three survive with a baby Bumpy, oh, it was it, it's the best. It's it's my favorite, and uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the way it just oh, I'm not gonna even go, because I've seen people <laughs> hate on this episode, by the way, because they hated how Ben was fighting the Carnotaurus. Which, knowing this franchise and how wild it has gotten, and how wild it might have gotten if we never got Jurassic World and we got Jurassic Park 4 instead, this <laughs> Ben Ben versus Carnotaurus thing is actually very refreshing and it's and especially i don't know it's i I don't get the criticism i don't get like oh he's going to fight it this is the carnotaurus that was burned broken shot at maybe other things because he looked very bad and it's i don't know it's 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 a perfect episode and i i love it sorry just uh, i know it's a tangent and just gushing over ben's development but I just, I just couldn't. Uh, it was please somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a good change of pace, and it's positioned perfectly. We're halfway through the season, so we're seeing a lot of these episodes with with the, uh, you know, the ensemble cast, and you have this one episode which surprised me because it goes back in time, and it's just a nice way to change things up a little bit. So I thought it was really good as well. Yeah, I do really appreciate that they spent a whole episode on the flashback instead of just showing a quick one. Um, I do kind of question whether, like, we don't know the specific amount of time that Ben was out all alone. It it can't have been too long, I don't think. So I kind of question whether it was enough time for him to develop as, like, an expert survivalist. Um, so I think there's some suspension of disbelief there, but at the same time, it is just so satisfying seeing him grown and more like mature and like on his feet and like, yeah, I, I was, I am kind of sad that baby Bumpy is gone, but I do really love how big Bumpy looks and how, how Bumpy is able to like charge at all these things. Like, you know, like toward the end of the finale we get that triumphant moment where 
we hear the Jurassic Park theme in its full glory, like dun 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 dun, dun and like they all charge at yeah. the baddies. It's just so good. Big Bumpy was a game changer because when I saw the first season and then the trailer for the second season, I didn't even know that Big Bumpy was an option because even though I've been conditioned like a uh, like a brainwashed clone to believe that clones are de- you know dispositioned to uh, age more rapidly than normal humans and normal creatures, I guess it's true for the Jurassic World franchise as well. That baby Bumpy became giant Bumpy, you know, in a matter of maybe weeks, months, maybe more, because we don't know how much time has passed. Bumpy is the only indication. Bumpy's, uh, you know, uh, evolution basically or growth in this in in this season is the only indication of some passage of time. Because okay. other than that, we don't know. I actually there is a sense of passage of time. I believe uh, when they're building the the, the treehouse again, they are marking like Ray does in a spe- in in the, in the AT-AT, uh, uh, ah, little yes. hash marks. So if you pause it, you can actually figure out exactly how much time. But it, it looked like at least a month to me. Maybe not two mm. months, but somewhere around a month or so. What if Bumpy is actually a Pokemon, and that explains how rapidly <laughs> Bumpy grew like, just by evolving? Oh, dear. Bumpy, I choose you. <laughs> uh, and I will say that is one of the things that did kind of take me out of this a little bit was how rapidly he grew. Yeah. And, and I and, and I know that you know it's it's a it's a show and they're clones and they 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 grow quicker than what they would be like what what a normal thing might grow. But I felt like the growth was a little too rapid just considering uh the time frame because like it had been previously pointed out like the time frame couldn't have been much it's like you got this this awesome character like dan was saying that rivals uh that of grogu and i love that episode where where ben has that that big uh episode and it just goes on and on and you're like oh this character's so great and then you see him again, and it's like a completely different character because it doesn't have the mannerisms that it has when it's it's a little baby. And it, if they expect this show to go on for seasons and seasons, it's like, why would they just push it out to be adults? Like, I can see, like, little, like, changes, you know, three, four seasons. Every season, it, it changes a little bit. So it's just kind of shocking to me. Like, whoa, what? Like, how did this go so big all of a sudden? I don't know. No, I'm I'm with you guys, but the the series creator I read in an interview has not even gotten the green light for a third season yet. So, uh, mm. while while we yeah. all feel like that is what it deserves, Netflix has not quite yet officially picked it up yet. Although I have heard rumblings that there's going to be like a either a graphic novel or a, a book of some sort that pertains to the adventures that happen after season two. So if we're looking at simultaneous releases of that type of storyline and the third season, then it's potentially sometime this summer, like July. But until we get something official from Netflix, two seasons is all we've got to go off of. And that may have been part of the logic for advancing Bumpy so rapidly is they may not have felt that they had the time to be able to properly evolve her the way they wanted to. So they just go with a time jump instead so that they can show off this new animation. Because let's be honest, grown-up Bumpy still looks pretty awesome. Like, 
It was but really it's a different kind of bumpy. It's a different kind of bumpy, yes. But I, I thought it was still really cool to see. You know, it, it's oh, yeah. it's it's basically like a Lone Ranger in silver type of situation. That was like one of the first impressions that I got. Um, but maybe also like a Emily Elizabeth and Clifford type of relationship, where you start out with them really really small and still love them even when they get really big. Like there were there were a couple of different human to animal dynamics that I kind of equated it to and, and really appreciated the fact that, that Bumpy came back and came back in such emphasis to help take on Toro. And, and honestly, that was a huge confidence boost for Ben. Did you notice yeah. how many times after that he kind of bragged to his friends about how he defeated Toro? Like, that's, that's, a, that's <laughs> yeah. a highlight for him. That's a big achievement for him. That not only did he learn how to survive without his hand sanitizer, but he grew into a person that felt like he could take on a Carnotaur. And so, like, yeah. Ben, out of anyone, I would say Brooklyn got some pretty good character development this season as well. But I think Ben uh, just takes leaps and bounds as far as mm-hmm. character development goes in this season. And I was all for it. Zach's absolutely right about that. And I, I will say, you know, I was at Walmart a couple of weeks ago, and I actually did see some Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous product, merchandising, mm-hmm. some toys. Same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw the Toro. The Toro actually looked kind of cool. I actually may or may not have almost bought it. Um, but so I feel like I, I feel like it has really good potential. To, to get greenlit for a third season, you know, especially since it's, it is making money outside of Netflix. But Zach brings up a good point is Netflix is known for kind of pulling the plug on stuff that people enjoy. If it doesn't check all the boxes that it, that they have set for it in terms of <laughs> altered carbon. The, <clears throat> I'm still upset about Dark I know uh, terrible you know so yeah. as a cre- as a creator you know you kind of do have to take that into consideration of oh man you know we don't have a guarantee to continue our story we ha- let's at least get the story that we want it to and that might be why we didn't get a definitive answer as to how much time had lapsed between the end of season one and the beginning of season two, we don't know. I don't, I don't think it was, unless I missed it. I don't think we actually got a definitive answer of how much time lapsed between the two. I assume it wasn't very much time, but it could have been a couple of months. Here's, here's my best theory. Episode one, a beacon of hope. They were still running from the dinosaurs in the aftermath of the end of season one, in my opinion. They're they're exploring Main Street and the food on Main Street hasn't spoiled yet, which is why the pizza's like still frozen and stuff. But then mm-hmm. after that, they're looking for a safe place to go. And by episode three, the watering hole, they've got like a whole campground established. You know, they settled on their campground in episode two. They've got it established and they've got, you know, they, they have built like a treehouse with a slide and a shower and a dining area and a bunk like that's not something you'd build overnight and like somebody alluded to earlier there were like check marks like like a like a tally marks on a on a chalkboard or something like that that was 
potentially keeping track similar to how Ray does in The Force Awakens. So or in prison. Uh, or in prison. I was I wasn't trying to go that route. I was also thinking <laughs> I was thinking like Chicken yeah. Run also, but I didn't know oh, if anybody yeah. would get that reference, but um but yeah, I mean there there is some sort of timekeeping method going on, but who's to say if those tally marks are for days or if they're for weeks or, you know, who knows. So uh, I would I would think it's an immediate follow up in the first couple of episodes, and then by episode three, there's a bit of a time jump in order to give Ben time to develop in episode five. Um, so I would my best estimate would be somewhere in the the month or so region around the time of the watering hole, just so that you've got time for Bumpy to grow up, you've got time for Ben to be able to do his thing. Like there's there's all these other moving parts that you kind of have to account for, um, and then I would say that the that Mitch and Tiff are there for at least a week or so, because there's a there's a lot of events that transpires and and quite a few sundowns that happen over yeah. the course of their time there. So uh, at the very least, by the end of this season, I would think that they've been on the island for in the range of four to six weeks. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. but. But there's one thing that, with or without a season three, is a problem in of itself. Baby Bumpy was able to ride a raft in the first season when they met those bioluminescent parasaurolophuses. Yes. But unfortunately, Big Bumpy, I think, would make a boat sink. So Maybe he could swim. Mm, I don't know. I hope if if they confirm that if the uh, ankylosauruses and styracosauruses from Fallen Kingdom survive the volcano, I don't want to think about Bumpy being in danger of that stupid volcano from Fallen Kingdom making its barbecue Bumpy. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Oh man, I yeah. still I still need I'll to think up. I still need to think up a barbecue topic. So maybe barbecue Dino will be the thing we talk about. I hope not. But we'll think about it. Um, what what did you guys make of their campsite? I got a lot of like Swiss Family Robinson type vibes, and I think somebody else uh, before the show mentioned something along the lines of of Gilligan's Island. Like, is is that the type of place that uh, that you would want to set up? I mean, uh, com- compared to um, compared to the grounds that we saw from Mitch and Tiff, I think I'd rather hang out in their, their treehouse with the slide by the stream, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I was actually thinking that they were going to rebuild the treehouse on the treehouse because even though it looks like a treehouse, I think it's built with like uh, steel beams and what's left from the old treehouse, which was destroyed by the uh, stupid Indominus. I would have actually thought that they would have gone up trees, which is safer because first the Indominus is gone, and uh, we, because they do see it, they see they hint at seeing the corpse of the Indominus, so it's still it's visible in the uh, tank of the Mosasaurus. Uh, but the thing is, they I thought they were gonna make it big. I have not seen any of the shows you guys referenced, Gilligan's Island, and I've heard of it, and the other thing I have not seen, heard at all. It just feels like a natural progression. It's actually one of my, you know, as as a kid, that like 
first idea would be to go to, the, like I said, the high ground and be like Obi-Wan and be above, you know, like the T-Rex. Like, Sammy was on a tree and she was safe from the T-Rex. So at least this show does acknowledge that there is safety on the on the trees and not like the stupid villains who made yurts and are like pack, packed food, basically. I don't know. It's... Uh, well, I personally like the the stream and the whole setup because they even had a shower, which was impressive. Well, but don't forget too; these are also kids, and they don't have yeah. uh, a a lot of the tools that would be necessary to create something like that. But they yeah. also, uh, in fairness, they also probably don't have a lot of the knowledge that it would take to craft something like that. Like they're probably not craftsmen. Um, their kids. Uh, so I feel like what they actually have set up is honestly very advanced uh, oh, for yeah. for their not only their age group but also possibly their their skill set and what they have available to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, resources is definitely something that feels somewhat scarce in this film, which is ironic considering how plentiful this place seemed to be when it was a, when it was a theme park. It was like, oh, they've got this, and oh, they've got this. And now it's like, oh, we're lucky if we find frozen pizza and, and canned goods and a can opener. So the, the paradigm has definitely shifted from season one to season two, but I am definitely not complaining. Uh, one other I'm element... I'm that they never went to the... By the way, sorry for interrupting Zach. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I'm still shocked, speaking of sleeping arrangements and places to be safe, I'm still surprised that they did not go to the hotels and they just excused the penthouse for being locked because Kenji got bad grades. Like, uh, that's no excuse. That They could have, like... We've never seen... These hotels are in the movies... These hotels are in the games. I mean, even in Jurassic World Evolution, you can see the penthouse view and you can watch what happens to the world, oh. you know, that you built in the game. But I thought they were going to visit it at least one time or at least, you know, explore it more than just, ah, Kenji's bad at school. Nah, he's bad. His dad sucks. So, I don't know. It's I thought... Maybe there's a, again, like the original visitor center and all the other things that I think are going to be uncovered because all these tunnels, like they offer a lot of things that they could like uncover and things that they could hide because maybe things don't pan out and maybe they decide to live underground in the next season and that changes up things. I don't know. It's it's this show can go either way. It's 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 not stuck in like they have to be in in a specific situation to be found. They didn't have to like stand around the beacon to be found where it's in in the in the wreck's nest. They could like change the location and things could be more uh, different when or at least if a season three is coming. Yeah, that that's very fair. I I think. The, the reason I didn't account for hotels was because they they vacated Main Street 
because the biggest and baddest of all the predators had set up her lair there. And that's a lot of sneaking around and that's a lot of risking your life unnecessarily. Like they spent a whole portion of an episode saying the pterodons are nesting here. The T-Rex is over here. We spotted this predator over here and we're like, okay, well there's where all the places we can't go. So now where can we go? Like, I I, I get that they did the whole process of elimination thing, and I actually appreciate that they did that. Because while I'm sure that that was meant for the younger audiences to recognize, like, the peril of the situation, it also kind of helped us realize what regions the different predators were establishing in. And much like Darius, I was kind of looking at uh, the the different behaviors, the observing different behavioral patterns that they were speculating on in this show. And I think one of the most interesting behavioral patterns that they set a precedent for in this season in particular was the idea of the watering hole, where predators and prey alike come to one place to gather in order to get fresh water. Like, Kenji comes face-to-face with a predator when he's out there adventuring with with Darius. I forget which, which... predator this is was it an allosaurus a ceratosaurus a ceratosaurus a cer- okay the one with the horn with the single horn yes. yes i i i recognized him i i had a hard time distinguishing him from some of the others but you know you come face to face with him and then he turns and and goes straight to to the water and you see uh blue the velociraptor show up at one point um towards the end of the season so there are uh uh carnivores and herbivores alike at this watering hole and it gave me some serious lion king vibes and it gave me some live action jungle book vibes with the peace rock that they discussed i'm curious what you guys thought of this watering hole concept and how it was executed the watering hole what's so great about the watering hole i'll show you when we get there oh (laughs) well i well the thing is uh, I think the watering hole is a brilliant, well, at least personally, I think it's that what it is, but I think it's a brilliant evolution of uh, the whole first scene where we get the mention of a T-Rex in the first Jurassic Park, because we do see that uh, huge lake with the Brachiosauruses and the Parasololophus. Uh, I really don't like that name. It's Parasololophus. Never mind. I, I can't say it. I just can't at this time, especially because it's 630. Uh, the thing is, it's an evolution of that concept and taken to the next level where it has even more meaning. When it just offers this new concept where they can interact with even the predators at a peaceful place without just having you know, the idea of being uh, somebody's food and lunch, which in of itself is... Something I've I don't I I don't think we've seen in in this franchise so far like predators and prey interacting without being you know at odds with each other or in each other's mouths. So I I, I really like the watering hole as as a concept. So at least that's one of the, another thing that I really love more than you know things in season, because season one was more things we have seen in Jurassic World while the watering hole was something brand new created exclusively for the series. 
Right, right. Uh, Steven, what did you make of the watering hole and how it played a part in the second half of the season? Uh, well, it's funny because the first time I saw the watering hole was when you posted a picture of it. And I think I jokingly commented, great, now I know that there are dinosaurs in this season. Thanks for the spoilers. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> um, but yeah, when, when I got to the episode that showed it, um, I don't remember if it was the first one or one of the early ones, but when they finally showed it, I was like, oh yeah, that does kind of remind me of The Lion King. And uh, I mean, you guys have like already said like, so the things I was thinking, I, I think it's a really cool concept. And I also thought that the whole setting was just well animated. And I liked how the, like the, when the characters, like, you know, when the kids see it, they're like in awe and it's like this bonding moment. Yeah. So for the watering hole, I, what I like about it is it shows us how the dinosaurs are interacting with one another once they are, not having humans messing with them and they're all in their designated fenced in enclosures. So it's cool seeing how like there's carnivores there and then you have the herbivores and they're all there just for water. And it's, it's neat because we haven't really seen that to my knowledge in any of the Jurassic park uh, films. Uh, so to me, that's, that's pretty unique. Mondo, did you like the watering hole? I did. I enjoy, I, I enjoyed the big watering hole. Um, what I liked about it was it was kind of mystical in a weird way because it's been brought up. You had, you know, you had predators and you had non-predators and I have a cat and, and it was incredible to see that. And it was really cool that they even referenced Alan Grant in that, and that it was something that he, that references back to the book that's referenced in Jurassic Park one. So I'm I'm of the theory, and and you guys can correct me on this possibly, but I I find myself of the theory that the watering hole we are observing in season two is the same watering hole that Alan Grant observed in the '93 film, which is why oh. which is why they make the Alan Grant reference in this season is because the things that they are seeing now are things that he possibly wished he could have seen had he, you know, been in similar circumstances back in 1993. Mm, I really love this idea. Oh, I really do. Mm. But isn't it too small? Like, I, they I, were in, 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 the, in the lake. Yeah. In the, the first one was a lake, and we had brachiosauruses swimming in it. This one... Uh, doesn't seem that big. I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to burst because I love your idea. Just making that connection. Uh, I want I I want you to be right. I want you. I want it to be the same thing. But again, like with many things that we have seen in the past that seem identical and similar, sometimes the reality disappoints us. It might, but I, I think the theory that I'm going to yeah. hold to is that uh, maybe maybe our our portions or our proportions or perceptions are are skewed yeah. just a little bit, or maybe the park had to undergo some renovations and it's the same location, but it's just it's a little bit more filled in now because it was intended yeah. for other creatures and there's just less of it now. Because honestly. Where is this lake? We've looked at the map several times in this season, and if we're on the same island as the original Jurassic Park, unless they completely filled it in or they're using it for the Mosasaurus tank, I don't know where this watering hole is technically supposed to be. 
So, like, it's uh, if I recall my my recollection of the maps correctly, that's like the only major watering sites on the island that's not water surrounding the island. So, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I just kind of want to stand my ground a little bit and be like, no, that's what it is, Dan. But I, you know, it. It may be, it may not be, but I feel like the only reason they would make an Alan Grant reference in that particular situation is if it's meant to remind us of a certain watering hole that Alan Grant once observed. I think you're correct, and I, and I think and I hope you are the the one who is right in this situation. Uh, I mean, yeah. who who knows? But uh, it, Ben's been a little bit quiet lately. I'm curious what his thoughts would be. On uh, on the watering hole. How are you doing there, bud? You 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 holding out okay? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I fell asleep there for a second. Yeah, we were. Oh, just, I'm back now. I'm back now. I'm awake. I'm we awake. we just bored you so much with our conversation, and now we're waking you up to talk about a watering hole. Yeah, the watering <laughs> hole is an interesting concept. Um, you know, something that I don't know. You know, is it? You've read the books, Zach. Do you, is uh, I'm assuming there's nothing in the books or anything in, in like established Jurassic Park lore that establishes a a watering hole. Not not under this not under this new. type of precedent. But if there was ever to be a place that had one, it would be like Ila Sorna after Site B collapses. And honestly, dude, it's been so long since I've read the books. I think the last time I read the books was when I discussed the books on IPC back around like our 10th or 12th episode and that mm. was 6 years ago so it's been a minute since I've read the books yeah yeah so I'm you know I'm very intrigued by this and just you know I don't know it's a very interesting concept and I liked and I don't know like how much science is in this you know especially when you're dealing with uh fake magic <laughs> magic re reincarnated dinosaurs you know how much truth there is to like the whole idea of like it being like a you know common ground that like predators and other creatures can just kind of go there and they chill out they don't try to eat each other it's a cool concept um and it and it kind of it gave a chance to kind of bring back and one thing we've talked about before with jurassic franchises like it's not all scares and, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to get eaten by dinosaurs. It's the wonder of, like, holy crap, this is amazing. We brought dinosaurs back, and, and they're, they're, they're alive again. This is cool. And you get that with, like, when Kenji and, and, and all those guys go down there. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, you're getting to see. You get to walk right up to them, and they're, they're just cool. You're just standing there. Um, and I like that. I like the whole concept of it. Um, I would be very interested to see, like, what, what – what uh what the whole logistics of like where it's placed on the island and what's going on there pretty cool pretty interesting well and the the other interesting thing is the the fact that that Darius is one of the people that gets to observe this it's not some famous scientist or whatever it's just a kid who's interested in dinosaurs and is is hoping to learn something from them in his time there intermi- intermingled between you know the the scares and and the awe is this kid who just wants to look at plaques and see animals taking a drink from a watering hole like i know i would i would speak from experience that 
I would love to see a watering hole like that on the African savanna, you know, where wildebeest and zebras are taking a drink at the same place that, you know, crocodiles and lions are having a drink at. And to to take that up to grander proportions just seems like a, a really, really cool idea. And it's the one place in the whole park, the one time in the whole story that Kenji has been in awe of something at this park. He's always been blah, 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 yeah, 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 (laughs) whatever. But this time, the watering hole actually impresses him. And so I think that is something worth noting as well, that this is the one place that even the most unimpressed people still find themselves impressed. Yeah. Even though they're trapped on an island with a bunch of man-eating dinosaurs and could die at any second, it's still cool (laughs) somehow. I mean, it makes me wonder how I would respond in these situations, you know? And I think that's the one thing that I really enjoy about this show in particular is there's enough characters and enough archetypes that I find myself relating to somebody and something that they say at some given point. Uh, I feel like right now I'm probably relating the most to Yasmina, but it kind Mm -hmm. of ebbs and flows from time to time. But there were certain lines that she said in season one in particular, and then there's certain, you know, leadership qualities that she was exhibiting in season two that I'm like, okay, I see where you're going with this, and I approve. Um but the, the the camaraderie, the teamwork, the the jokes, the the evasion of the dinosaurs as best as they can, the bonding over things like TV shows, like there's more depth to these characters than just the the simple introductions that we got in season one. What did you guys make of the storytelling of this season? Do you feel like it was? it was better or worse than what we got in season one. Like how would you, how would you compare it? Well, I actually preferred the storytelling in this season more, I think because like, I do love appreciate stories where, you know, in the sequel or next installment or whatever, we get to see the characters actually grow and bond. And like, one of the things that happens that I found very relatable was when, you know, the they're kind of having a hard time relating to each other until they realize that they all have, like, a TV show in common um, that they've all watched. Um, it, it was called, like, Esther Stone or something, right? Esther Stone High School PI, I think it was called. Okay, yeah. And, like, we've, I feel like we've all been in that situation. Like, I've joined a bunch of groups of friends solely based on, like, a common... A movie or TV show or franchise or whatever that we're all interested in. And it, it just felt very real that that would bring them together. I mean, just think about us like right here. We wouldn't, we probably wouldn't all be talking here if it weren't for the wonderful 3d animated masterpiece that is star Wars, the clone wars, you know, damn it. I was really hoping that you'd make a zombies reference. we wouldn't all be here if we hadn't sat through that piece of crap (laughs) 
Yeah, like Zumbies is Jurassic adjacent. Like it's like next to the franchise. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a whole ass line in the movie where they're like, "It's a zoo. It's not like it's Jurassic Park." Yeah, <laughs> like they straight up reference it. Oh, it's so bad. It's so so bad. Um, Chris, what did you make of the storytelling in this season? Yeah, so I, I mean. I'm kind of torn because I like the way the storytelling in season one interweaves with a a movie. I think that was really well done with different scenes like the Indominus Rex and then having the, the helicopter with uh, uh, Asmani or whatever um, going down. And then you have the whole thing at the end with the boat. So I, I like how they're able to pace that first season and inter- and kind of interweave it. But then again, uh, also, the second season is fleshing out the characters, like Stephen was saying. So you do get that that richer content that uh, that really does strengthen a character. So I mean, for me right now, I'd say it's kind of they're kind of on par with one another as far from a storytelling perspective. Okay, very very good, Mondo. What about you? What did you make of the story that was told in season two compared to season one? So it was different, and it was talked about earlier how season one. Uh, kind of relied on making you pucker <laughs> uh, a little Love more it. with some of the imagery and some of the scenes and some of the terror, I guess you can call it, and some of the action, where I felt like season two was more on growth and more on character building and more on defining the story more in in ways outside of monsters and teeth and rawr. Um so I like that because don't get me wrong. I love season one and I love season two. They're, they're, they're very different. Uh, I don't know if I would say I like one more than I like the other because they're two completely different styles of storytelling, you know, the, and, and, but I really do like how they pushed the characters like Ben, you know, we've talked about Ben uh, and we've talked about how he had a development and we've talked about how, you know, they, they pushed it to where, you know, or we've talked about how, oh, hey, maybe we could uh, see them go to a different site and different things like that. You know, I feel like they've they've created their own story. They're no longer utilizing the events of Jurassic World to kind of. To, to kind of build the story. Now they're building a story on their own based off of that. And I really like that. That's fair. That's very fair. Uh, Mr. Grievous, have we asked your thoughts on the storytelling of this season yet? I think I touched upon it in, in my opening statements, uh, Mr. Arnold. Um, by the way, wasn't Mr. there a Mr. Mr. Arnold? Yeah. Uh, oh wait. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sam Jackson's decapitated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, no, actually not decapitated. That's the head. Uh, uh, the disarmed. He was disarmed. Disarmed in the first movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know how Sam Jackson does gets in huge franchises and loses an arm and disappears. Yeah. Or an eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different, different uh, yes, Mr. Arnold. Uh, I do think that the storytelling is quite different, and it's going to get even more uh, wild because we're getting further and further away from the uh, 
the safety that was the establishing of uh, the accident in Jurassic World. So now they're in uncharted territories, both uh, literally and figuratively, and yes. So, um, yes, I, I think in, in terms of which one is better in, 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 in how do I feel about it, I think season two offers a very different approach to the whole situation the kids are in and offers a lot more for, for the future. So, because I, I personally, when season one ended, I didn't know where they were going to go. Well, I right. think season two has a pretty good idea, at least has set up at least a bunch of things that we are going to see when or if the third season and fourth season happen. I would be grateful for a third mm -hmm. season. And here's the thing. This show is kind of set up for a pandemic, if we're being honest. All of the characters can record their lines from the safety of their own homes and submit the audio. You've got animators that can now work remotely. And you, you've got, like, this entire second season was created remotely. You know, they were able to create this entire adventure and take us on this 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 thrill ride of a season all from remote studios because they, they finished, um, they finished in, they, they released this first season in what October and we had the second mm -hmm. season by January. So from the, by the way, uh, you have, you sorry for interrupting, but yeah. you do bring up a great point um, because we ha we were supposed to have dominion this year and, the movie got pushed back further and further, and I think maybe it's gonna get pushed back more if, unless things get better or worse. I mean, it depends on the freaking situation with the world. But I think that that does explain the whole situation with what you're explaining does do does justify the whole situation because with Bumpy, it it justifies why it was so rushed because maybe they were thinking that maybe Dominion was going to come out right after this. So maybe they were going to, like, uh, wind up, wind down, wind down, and just prepare for Dominion and the ending of the franchise or something. So uh... Uh, carry on. So because, I don't know, it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. That's the beauty of animated shows compared to live action. Yeah. Well, but... Hold on to to, to kind of, in a way, maybe kind of refute some of that. At the end of Fallen Kingdom, don't we see Blue looking over like a suburb in San Francisco? Some somewhere in California, yeah. I believe. Yes. So Blue is on this particular island because we've seen Blue, and mm -hmm. and that's also something I want to touch on. So there would have to be a lot of things happen in Camp Cretaceous to catch it up to where we are in the storytelling in the actual movie verse. Okay. Yes. However, there have been confirmations from the series creators that stuff mm -hmm. in dominion is going to carry some of the things that we are exploring in camp Cretaceous. My working theory right now is that, um, Dodson, who has been confirmed to come back yeah. to this film, is working for Manticore at this point. 
Oh. And so you'll Did have. Did they make the film Biosyn? Biosyn, yeah. There was another competitor to uh, InGen, right, or something like that yeah, in the books. Companies. No, Biosyn was in the books, and I think in a, maybe in one of the games or feudal games. Mm-hmm. Biosyn does exist. There's Manticore, and uh, I, I don't know. Maybe the, because the problem is that Biosyn is a real company in in the real world, so they're not going to maybe make it look evil and disgusting because that's going to maybe be viewed by the company that right. is in yeah. existence right. as a problematic representation. And Manticore, I don't know why... The, so far, I'm not sure what the purpose of Manticore is, but we've seen so many scumbags in the second movie, Fallen Kingdom, uh, that's made me to believe that there are many companies at this time sure. that have stolen from InGen because InGen was being... You know, it was bought out, it was dissolved or kind of, because we don't know what exactly was, was it doing under Mizrani, but we might see more and more of that being explored in the future seasons, especially because of that thing. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to touch upon it or are we going to go into the E750, I think was the, def, uh, you know, the name of the room. Where that special thing was kept, you know, the thing, the thing, right. nice, right? Yeah, we we might I as have... we might as well uh, before might we well. Be, before before we go to our break, let's let's go ahead and 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 touch on that for a little bit and see what the what the speculation okay. slash consensus may or may not be on exactly how E seven five zero plays out. Um, like there, there's there's a lot of possibilities. It could be an old dino. It could be a new dino. It could be, uh, it could be something else entirely. What 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 would your best speculations be, gentlemen, on what E seven five zero could turn out to be? Should this get a third season? I don't have a speculation. I have confirmation, maybe. But I, should I, should we talk leaks or should we not? We leaks. can't. There's a leak for this show. We can. Yeah, there's a. There's a leak for E750. By all means, this is news to me. Let, let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Especially I, for that I, if if anybody out. doesn't want to hear it, this is your warning to turn off, all right? I want to hear this. <laughs> okay, so what I saw and heard and read is that this thing is also a hybrid that is is like not connected to the Interruptor in, in some way. It's not connected to that. It does have Rex in the name, uh, but it's not an Indominus. It's something. It's Scorpius. Something like that was called because it was oh. like, there was like a leak for a toy listing or something for this thing. Huh. So I think they're already preparing this thing for mass distribution. And uh, so the thing is, it's a hybrid, which I was not the most real person but they have but, but remember remember uh, just uh, in the first season on the on the sheets uh, I think it was in the first season or it was in the movies or in one of the games because the problem is hybrids have been popping up in everything since 2015 yeah. hybrids have been in the games you, you can you know you can create a, st- a stegoceratops you know you can, you know, you can create an Ankylodocus that is a combo between an Ankylosaurus and a Diplodocus, and I think there's like <laughs> a freaky 
hybrid on one of the screens in one of these. I think it was in the first season. It's like a combo between the Therizinosaurus, which is from the family of the T-Rex, but it's a herbivore with gigantic claws. It was combined with a long neck thing because if they're going to do another hybrid, it better look completely different to what we've seen so far. And we've seen two Velociraptor freaks, kind of, so they have to do it to make it its own thing, to make it unique. So it might look more freakish and maybe a little more different, maybe less Velociraptory. I don't know. But if that's you, at least what I've read. If you say Scorpius Rex, my mind instantly goes to some kind no, of insect. No, no, it's Scorpius. I, I also heard Scorpius, but it was spelled without an R. Like oh, I was like, oh, a T-Rex with like a scorpion tail or something. That'd be freaking no, no. crazy. While, while I think that the, the, the franchise is going, especially with Dominion and some of the set set photos I've seen, is going in a very freaking interesting direction, <laughs> especially for a, a movie franchise that has six entries at this point. Do, have you seen any of the set photos, by the no. way? No, no. I don't know the guy either. Okay. Mm. Should I be <laughs> quiet and shut up? No, 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 because I don't want to spoil this for you if you don't want to know anything about Dominion. The only thing okay. I know about Dominion is that the Gem Hadar are not to be trifled with. Okay, so remember that Ooh. photo that uh, Colin Trevorrow posted That's on Star Trek, uh, right? Oh, what? yeah, finally somebody got that reference. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I, I don't. I, yeah, I was muted because I was working on something, but then I had to like quickly unmute myself and I didn't do it quick enough. <laughs> I was like, who? Uh, 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 no, the thing is, I don't think. Okay, should I go into like. Can you my do like thoughts? light spoilers or do you have to go all the way? <laughs> well, do you remember that little thing that was posted on Twitter by Colin Trevorrow with the mask on where he apologized about the delay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that Listosaurus, which is actually not a dinosaur. What? That thing with a mask. That's not oh, a dinosaur. Shoot. I got to look at this now. What? That thing... That thing is from a, 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 a family of animals or genius, I'm not sure what was the, the, the correct term, that lived prior to the dinosaurs. And they contain species and families and genuses, blah, 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 that are more connected to us that look reptilian but are not connected to the dinosaurs in, in that way. You know, the Dimetrodon, which is a staple of the Jurassic Park franchise, is one of those animals. It's not a dinosaur. It's a, a mammalian reptile, I think. Uh, there was another um, term for that. Synapsid, I think, was the, the correct term for these uh, beasts, at least one of them. Sorry. I am, I am, uh, I am learning <laughs> so much right now. Please continue. Okay. Uh, if, I, if you want, I can at least rule out something, at least... If, because I doubt... Colin Trevorrow would introduce such a big concept to the franchise in an animated show, even though WandaVision and Clone Wars have established that that is no longer the case. 
because TV shows are establishing things that are gonna blow our our minds maybe one day on the big screen. So should I go into the set photos? Maybe do you want me to say something, or should I just shut up and move if, on? If if you can give us like like a, like a like a one to two minute description, I think that would be a good no, no, way I can to say go. One minute, just. Uh, that, yeah, let's do that, and then and then we'll go to our our break and come back with one or two more little things to talk about before we close for the night. But yeah, please tell us what you've seen of the set photos. Okay, I'm not gonna say anything about the set photo, uh, you know, events. Like there's, of course, there's chasing, running. You know, there's that's how it starts, but then there's running and screaming, and you know, uh, 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 but uh, 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 but um, actually, what is more interesting is one of the a props that they've used. This was like a, a photo in Italy or Sicily or some somewhere in, in Europe was was the place that they were shooting. And at first, these prop heads looked like raptors or or like something from the you know yes okay but not like that not not like this they okay they look like raptors. Or you know, but that, that they're not, they're not raptors. The thing is, those things that have been seen on set have a very different snout and structure of the skull, and they don't. They're not. They're not dinosaurs. They're not members of any of the family or species we've seen so far. They seem to be more. What well, at least I think they are because they have snouts that look more like dogs. I mean, okay, don't don't picture dogs. Don't picture dogs. If you look up synapsid, these are prehistoric creatures before the Triassic period. Huh. They were like that were close to like like the Debetrodon. They have structures that have yeah. all the basics that eventually evolve into mammals, but they are like prehistoric, like. A precursor to that, and these things are seen on set chasing beep 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 beep. No spoilers. <laughs> so, and and that's why I think I don't think this thing is is gonna be related to those things because I doubt they're gonna introduce a whole new subset of creatures, even though they did mention a mammoth. In the first season, but I don't think they're going to introduce an entire new, yeah, E7, uh, five, E750, that it was going to be some new creature because I, I've heard, uh, I have heard, you know, speculation that that might be a saber tooth creature because mm. it corresponds with the uh, time period when the saber tooth type smilodons. Uh, are the correct oh, term wow. for the giant felines. The Smilodons, uh, the saber-toothed tiger, as it's oh. famous, famously known, it does correspond for that, but it doesn't seem to look like a cat because I'm looking at one right now. Stop shoving. Okay. And I'm looking at a cat right now. It doesn't have spikes or spines. That's, that's the, the big problem with the frozen thing. So... Yes, that's at least my two cents on a matter. That's fascinating, truly. Here, here I was thinking about something completely horrifying 
<laughs> they made a, a human mix with a dinosaur. Oh my gosh! No, 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 no. Okay, Chris, Chris, your your nightmares are very founded because that was part of the plot of Jurassic Park Four. They were gonna mix humans and dinosaurs, and they I were gonna that. have dinosaur hunters. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. that's I, disgusting. I remember there being concept art for that where you saw, like, basically dinosaur mammalians standing upright holding laser guns type of things like they the the body of a man but the neck and the head of a t-rex essentially holding a a laser gun while on reptilian haunches or something like that like it was ridiculous looking and and we've already established that like you know using the same technology you can clone humans so like you know, yeah. that's just the next step. You know, I actually really dig how this looks. <laughs> I just googled <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, let's just sort of yeah. Just Google oh. Jurassic Park for concept art, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you'll get some stuff. <laughs> yeah, it'll ruin your night. <laughs> yeah. Well, we definitely don't <laughs> want I, to do I, that. I ironically, love this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, if I could step in here for a second. Uh, I so to kind of circle it back around, I I do think it's the Endoraptor, and 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 I get an A the E to me kind of gives it away, and two I feel like that could be what ties getting them back off the island is when they retrieve that uh that for that what we see in Fallen Kingdom. And like you've said that it's going to all tie together. So I feel like that could be the thing that ties it back together and that gets somebody back there, uh, you know, to, to, to look at that. I mean, I know we've got the beacon and we have that stuff going on, but I don't know. It's okay. One big problem with this is that to have the Indoraptor have, we have to have like several months or years pass by than to have the bone of the Indominus to be picked up, the DNA from that bone to be extracted and be, uh, you know, uh, combined with other, you know, cockamamie stuff into a big soup at Lockwood Manor. And then we have Indominus, uh, Indominus' successor, Indoraptor, under the uh, watchful so- eye of that... Mills guy. So then, what if this is the precursor to the Indoraptor? Something, Possibly, yes. Some, something that was an experiment that was intended to get us closer to the Indoraptor, but wasn't as comprehensive or complete as what you get in Fallen Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Somebody might still want to retrieve that for research purposes, and it may still wreak havoc and cause terror on the island in the interim, and it could still survive under a different name, like what the leaks are posing for the for the toy reveal. I, I think it's entirely plausible that the shape and the structure of the dinosaur could be similar to the Indoraptor without bearing the exact name mm-hmm. or the exact same mannerisms, but still causing problems for our intrepid heroes on the island. What if what if it's not a dinosaur at all? What if it's just Dennis Nedry frozen? <laughs> if it's awakened. 
if it is if it if it's Dennis or any type of human or mammalian. Oh my gosh! There. I figured it out. <laughs> it's Dennis. He's part dinosaur, so he's a dinosaur. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh no. <laughs> Dennis Ned. The way Dennis Nedry laughs in the first movie sounds like a Velociraptor when he's given the money and he sees the uh, yes. song. He's like. I always wondered about that. I was like, why does he sound like a damn raptor? Yes. That, that, that explains his actions the whole time. He was trying to rescue his family members. He wasn't Aww. trying to steal dino DNA. <laughs> he was part dino the whole time. Yes. <laughs> well, it all we, makes sense. We are getting to that point in the conversation, are we, gentlemen? Well, we've been at this for over two hours, so it stands to reason. All right, we're going to take a short break then, say hello to our friends, patrons, all that good stuff. We'll be right back to give a couple of last little thoughts here as we finish up our discussion of Camp Cretaceous Season 2 here on the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. IPC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IPC sent you. We are back and here to wrap up our conversation of season two and looking forward to a potential season three of Netflix's original series in partnership with DreamWorks Animation, Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous. Before we do that, though, a special thank you is in order to the people that help financially contribute to the program. People like Joey Mays, Ryan H1152, Rachel Perry, our very own Dan Grievous, and Carrie Fleming. A big thank you to those people that are helping Uh, make sure that we keep the lights on on this program. And if you're interested in financially contributing to the show, just let us know. 
and we will get you the new Patreon link that we are working on getting established. We're going to be disabling the Podbean patron system as of 2021 and switching over to Patreon finally, so be sure to hit us up for that link. Uh, if you're not following us on social media already, you should go do so. Go find us at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find previous episodes on StarWarsUnderworld.com, as well as places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and our hosting site, IPCPodcast.Podbean.com. A reminder that our R-rated show, R.I.P.C., is now available on Phantom Empire. We're working on getting a couple of new shows produced for you this year. And I'm also over at the Phantom Empire Network by doing a new show called Fandom News Now that's on every Thursday. And uh, you can see it like the same day, so if you're busy listening to the SWU that evening, you can catch it after the fact. And uh, Ben's doing a lot of really cool stuff with SWU and over at Culture Slate as well, so be sure to give them a follow and uh, follow us on our personal pages as well. Zach the Voice on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and Zach dot the Voice on Instagram. Ben, you haven't changed anything yet, have you? You're still Ben Hart with no E on all major platforms. Same old, same old in my department. Hey, that's good for branding, buddy. That is good for branding. All right, guys, going to bring everybody back into the fold, and we're going to be talking about something that has become a point of heavy discussion due to the recent success of shows like The Mandalorian and WandaVision over on Disney+. Plus. Netflix still holds to the original streaming trope of dropping everything all at once. I got to watch The Witcher in, the, in a matter of days, and I got to watch Camp Cretaceous Season 1 and Season 2 all in one day thanks to the binge format. But there is something to be said about having to wait week to week, much like traditional TV has been back in the day. You're just waiting for it on a streaming service. So I want to go around the horn and hear people's thoughts on the idea of episodes getting a weekly release or a dropping all at once. And uh, we're going to try and do this uh, in as orderly a fashion as we can because I know we're crunched for time. So make your cases, gentlemen. Binge or weekly stream. Ben, you're the first one up. What do you got? All right. So I have some pretty strong feelings about this, and I say the the standard, the the old school format of dropping them week to week is so much better. I think, you know, just look at what's been going on with Mandalorian and WandaVision and, you know, the shows that have been coming out on Disney Plus, you know, the just communal aspect of getting to experience each episode and how it drags out the discussion that you get talk about each and every episode we were talking before you know this this discussion happened like you know we're trying to figure out like what happened in each episode i binged all of camp cretaceous in like 24 hours like it, it really it went back pretty quick i enjoyed it but it would have been a lot of fun to just take you know several weeks and d divulge into each and every episode um yeah sure binging it's all depends on your lifestyle but i think the whole communal aspect of week to week binging is is much better, and you know, I, you know, obviously, there's two different schools of thought. Netflix is going to keep doing what they're doing, and you know, more power to them. But uh, I would like to see Cretaceous season three released week to week, just just to give it a shot. Well, and this doesn't necessarily have to pertain to Camp Cretaceous specifically. It can just be our our perspectives on consuming media as a whole. But definitely Camp Cretaceous is like 
the uh, the poster boy for it right now because you know we got stuff in mid September and then we got stuff again in uh, the tail end of January. So you know we're getting that content. Mm-hmm. A little more regularly than we do something like what we got with Daredevil or The Witcher or something like that. Like, we're getting more content a little more frequently, but uh, maybe that doesn't make up for it. Steven Schinder, you are up, sir. Your thoughts on binging versus weekly? Yeah, so I've found that with certain animated shows that are, like, maybe 20-ish minutes, like Camp Cretaceous or troll hunters and its spin-offs slash sequels or with um the dragon prince i do love binging the season um however for the most part with like live action stuff i prefer the weekly format because then people have more time to digest and everyone gets to be on the same page and not accidentally spoil an entire season for someone um I do remember Clone Wars Season 7, while animated, did go the weekly format, like, as Mandalorian did, and the rest of Clone Wars, frankly. And I remember thinking back then, well, I really hope they do um, the format of doing one arc per week, kind of like what Young Justice Season 3 did on DC Universe. I thought that was done really well. But if I had to choose between the two, like between weekly and binging, like if I had to choose just one, I would choose weekly because it, maybe it's because uh, I listen to podcasts as well. And it's like it just feels like it paces the discussion uh, out better. So and, and it keeps the show in the minds of its viewers for a longer time so it's not like you just watch an entire season one week and it's like okay done move on to the next thing not talk about this show for like another year or whatever or a few months in the case of shows like this that get made very quickly Um, but yeah overall i'd say i prefer weekly all right star raptor what are your thoughts on binge versus weekly yeah, so at first, uh, one of the first shows I ever binged was Daredevil on Netflix. And at the time, that was like changing the status quo. Where everybody was like, oh, this is amazing because we could just watch all the episodes in one go. Um, and then as everything changed at Disney+, Plus, you get The Mandalorian and WandaVision. And of course, Game of Thrones was out that entire time. You get that water cooler discussion, uh, just not with people online, but with coworkers and, and, and family and all that. And, uh, you know, I just don't want to give that up um, I, I really enjoyed that aspect and this is you know of course it's coming from a person who does content creation um so of course i'm going to prefer that because as we were preparing for tonight's episode i was like oh wait i don't retain this as much as i do like you know watching clone wars or Mandalor- mandalorian or wandavision because i could tell you pretty much like everything that happened in each of the episodes so far whereas with camp cretaceous it's been such a long time already since i've seen that second season that I was struggling to to remember that and and like Stephen was saying like, like to keep it in the state of mind of of the creators too to to help support them because I feel like it comes out that weekend and people are already on to the next thing and it's like all the people have put in all the hard work there's like nobody really talking about certain series like a couple of weeks after the fact mm-hmm. um, so th- th- I think even from that perspective I think it's more appreciative of, of the creators when you're able to analyze it more and, and think about it more and just have fun 
um, talking with others about it. That's a, that is a fair point. Mondo, how do you feel about this topic? I like the bingeable aspect of it. Uh, I kind of feel like the weekly is more for the subscription services themselves more than anything else. Because if a, if a season is eight weeks or 10 weeks or something like that, well, for people that want to watch every episode weekly as they drop, they've gotten three months of subscription out of those individuals versus, you know, Netflix. Oh, let me re-up my Netflix this month so I can watch uh, Camp Cretaceous or Stranger Things or something of that nature. Right. I also like the fact that you have all of them at your fingertips and, uh, and, and so like take somebody like, not like, like somebody like me, but take me for instance, this time around, I had trouble keeping up with the Mandalorian. Right. Um, not because I didn't want to just because my schedule didn't allow me to really kind of put that, focus on the series and on that as the episodes were coming out. So I got to watch a couple of them and then I kind of fell a a couple episodes behind. So then I kind of got to this point where it was like, well, at this point I might as well just wait until they're all out, you know, carve out a carve out half an afternoon on a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. And go ahead and finish it. So I, I kind of like that flexibility of just to having it all and getting to take it in at your own pace from from that perspective. Yep, that's that's very fair. Uh, Dan, how do you feel about stream versus weekly? Hmm. Initially, I was going to say binge, but very well put arguments were placed and said about in favor of weekly, especially because I have grown up and become part of multiple circles of awesome people that talk and like, like uh, talk and talk and talk and discuss and, and bond over these shows on a weekly basis, speculate, excite each other because of their weekly nature even though I have to say that if the way Camp Cretaceous has been, re- re- you know, releasing, because, mm-hmm. I mean, what was it, like two months, three months since we got the first and then the second season? If that's the standard for a show like Camp Cretaceous, then that's a, a good, like, that does build up like a hype or, you know, you have very theories because I have experienced shows that, uh, like for instance, I caught up with Game of Thrones because I started around season the end of season two and season three, uh, when season three began, and I had to c- catch up with seasons one and two. I was told that I had to like endure and maybe get through a lot of episodes that do not, uh, you know, are not worth it. And if that's a weekly show and it's not worth it, then most likely people are not going to be hooked. I mean, that's even though that's true for both bingeable and weekly formats, because I've watched shows like, for instance, I did during the pandemic, I got acquainted and fell in love with Troll Hunters and I binged it 
several weeks. So uh, in the huge portions, you know, show hunters and and three below, and then uh, in preparation for wizards. But I don't know. I still think a more I don't know, call it romanticized version of, the, especially because of Mandalorian and WandaVision. That's that's reaffirmed my belief that the weekly format is and always will be the more like more like for at least for most of us more uh more how do i say it it's in terms of community and stuff that's at least how i view it that allows for more of a i don't know momentum because even though i've seen a lot of shows that have bingeable aspect to them grow it's not as strong as uh, shows or movie okay shows basically that have uh, a weekly basics like for instance as much as i love daredevil and all the netflix shows that were i've never seen a a as strong a fan base as the one for for instance uh, star wars or even uh, like marvel like the people who watch like wandavision like because if that was like, it would not be as successful, I think, if it was all binged at one time. Like if you knew what happens to Wanda at the end of WandaVision, then people would not be as excited, I think. At least they would not live in speculations or theories. That is possible. Excitement. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, I think I, I lean towards weekly because I've, I've been used to it. I grew up with it. And I'm, I, I think that's, I even, even I, I even conversation I didn't binge I I watched in smaller portions like three episodes of four and then like the other ones after that so I don't know maybe a middle ground <laughs> I don't know so weekly is my choice okay well it, it it's funny that you bring up Game of Thrones because that was going to be my example as well um, when I finally decided to try Game of Thrones they were towards the end of their sixth season took me a while before i finally decided to watch it but when i did i got an hbo max subscription or whatever they called it at the time hbo now hbo go something like that i got a streaming hbo subscription for the sole purpose of getting caught up on game of thrones i had about two weeks to work with and i binged all 60 episodes or something like that over the course of 10 days 10 days yeah and that was my introduction to the game of thrones world and what got me hooked on the show was the binge format um not having to wait week to week for potentially good or potentially bad episodes in my opinion i don't think game of thrones had very many bad episodes but i would much rather get through as much of it as i can on my own time because I had that two weeks off of work in between work and school where I could dedicate to getting caught up on a show that's been around for years. But if if those things are coming out week to week, then I don't necessarily have that same luxury. And kind of in the vein of what Mondo was talking about, I would kind of like to have the option of being able to watch yeah. it week to week if that is what my schedule allows me to. Or to watch more episodes over the course of a weekend or something, if that's all I've got the time for. So, WandaVision definitely sets a very high standard as far as wanting to come back week after week and keep seeing what happens next. 
And they do a pretty good job of doing those mini recaps saying previously on WandaVision. Like, it, it reminds you enough, but not so much that you, like, have to go mm-hmm. back and rewatch the episodes. I will say, however, this most recent season of Mandalorian, in my opinion, would have been better binged than watched. I don't feel like the, the quality was there to warrant waiting week after week for you know, maybe a 30 minute episode, but that may be a bit of a hot take that should be saved for another time. But I would, I would have, I would have preferred to binge Mandalorian and wait weekly for WandaVision. But as a whole, I think I still prefer the binging format, but that's just me. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing that I was thinking of. uh, Listen, everybody talk. I, I feel like the binge is almost like, like you're watching a movie. Um, like a very extended movie. Sure. Um, and it, ha- it has the same effect as, as watching a movie, right? Like the first week or something, people are talking about it. And then and then the people that really wanted to see it had seen it. And then the discussion starts to die down. Uh, whereas the uh-huh. weekly the weekly is just like it has been for years. Like that's that's the difference between TV and movies is the TV is prolonged over time. It's a different medium. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's my thoughts on that. Well, but I also think it might. I don't know if this was actually brought up, but it might also depend on the show you're talking about, too. You know, I kind of feel like, you know, possibly like a longer show, like WandaVision or... How long are the episodes for WandaVision? 45 minutes? 30 minutes. 30 to to 40 minutes. Okay. So a little longer than what a Camp Cretaceous episode would be. So for, for a show like Camp Cretaceous... You know, you're watching, you know, you can get through almost three episodes an hour or so, depending on kind of what you're doing versus, you know, not. So I think it, I think it depends on the length of the show and maybe the content of the show, too, that might that might do it. Like, I remember, like, and I will say when the first season of The Mandalorian came out, you're absolutely right. You know, kind of having that opportunity and that ability or like that that weekly prolonged discussion really kind of continued to drive up the hype factor of it. Um, but I'll also say on the flip side, you know, you guys mentioned um, spoilers. You know, if you get behind, you know, nice. if you get behind a couple weeks you still see the spoilers online, you know, because well, you'll see some of that. Well, the thing is, binge, the, one of the main things that I think binge has uh, in terms of advantage to, against weekly watch is that because, especially I've experienced that with some shows, especially with Star Wars or Clone Wars, because at times... If you're not invested or excited about a topic, like, for instance, I know a lot of people were not as in love with the Martez sisters arc. And I, for instance, in 2011, I was sick of Umbara and I didn't want to watch that and wait an entire November to get that over with and get to the (laughs) Slavers arc. So I think it depends on the quality because if something is bad and you have to wait five weeks to get over uh, an arc, then that could be problematic because I know a lot of people who got bored with some arcs or stories or episodes and said, you know what, this is not worth it. I'm going to 
you know, like like you, you guys said, it's like I'm gonna wait until they're all done so I could binge it. And if that I don't like an episode, I can just skip it. Like for instance, I've watched X Files. I love that show now because I've never watched it before in my life. I've watched X Files, and I I despise when they go into the satanic episodes and the demons and the religious stuff, which is absolutely boring. I love the monsters. And when they go into that, and I see another serial killer who just is a serial killer. I just say, you know what? I'm going to skip this. And I'm just going to go to the next one because I <laughs> think the episode, because there have been bad episodes of every show and not every episode deserves the attention. For instance, WandaVision and The Mandalorian, especially season one of The Mandalorian, have been exceptional, except episode five of The Mandalorian in the, in the first season, because Tatooine is horrible. But um, <laughs> th- th- that being said, both have advantages and both have disadvantages. I, for instance, know that I think the impact of Baby Yoda would have been lessened if it was all in one sitting and people were just talking right away from about Baby Yoda and what it is about and what happens and who's Moff Gideon. But we never knew about Moff Gideon. It got built up to it. And it it, it just, it, it's like preparing a stew. It's like either you want to eat a quick sandwich and just get it over with and go to work, like I have to, uh, or you can just uh, spend like several hours cooking a turkey or chicken or whatever your uh, cultural preferences are in your region or country. And you could just uh, spend, spend time, spend time, spend time more and more and just enjoy it. Uh, You know, the end result could be good, but it could also be very bad. And if you spend several hours on that meal, then you would be disappointed. Like, for instance, I've I've binged shows that, like, for instance, I I try to watch Big Mouth. Sorry. um, And I was not into it. I tried one, two, three episodes and I gave up. Like, for instance, I also think that Game of Thrones, especially some of the early seasons, are, have great episodes, but there are also episodes, especially in seasons four and five, that nothing happens. And if you don't watch it in a binge format, you get bored. And I know a lot of people who drop off at that point. Just saying. So it, it depends on the quality. If a show is enticing, like WandaVision and The Mandalorian and The Clone Wars, then you have a good time. But if it's not, then things get bad and you wish for binging. <sighs> good talk, guys. Really good talk. <laughs> but if we're gonna if we're gonna finish by the top of the hour <laughs> that I yeah. promised you all that we would, then uh we need to go ahead and go into our uh, final thoughts on season two and our planet scores. Um maybe throw in like our one projection for what could happen in season three along with these uh final thoughts and planet scores i know that uh it's not the the time that i promised but we're kind of running short on time so uh steven i'm gonna have you kick it off man what would your final overall thoughts on season two be what one prediction would you make for season three and what is your planet score out of 10 yeah, so as I said before, this season really impressed me. Um, I just loved seeing the characters actually come into their own and really develop. Uh, for predictions, I'm not really sure what to expect. Um, I'm just going to say there will be some fun jokes here and there. I'm sure that's a certainty. 
Um, I think I gave season one a 7.25 out of 10. So uh, with season two, I'm going to have to give it 8.5 out of 10 frozen pizzas with chocolate-covered Pringles on top and some mayonnaise monster brand. Feel free to stop me with like the description. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just you just kept going, and I was like, yeah. oh goodness. Uh, Ben, you you just sent me a chat saying that you're pressed for time. Why don't we jump to you and then jump back up the list a little bit? Um, but if you've got the time, can you give us your scores? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I might disappear after this. We'll we'll see. But uh, I will tell you right now that I really enjoyed this season so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes next. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think they did really well with what they were up against, and you know, kind of taking the story in their own direction. They weren't ham hammered, you know, by you know any kind of other story that was going on. The movie was over. They can't basically do whatever they wanted to. I think they did really well with that. I like the themes they explored. I like the, the villains that were there. And I think the characters had some immense amount of growth and, and just a, all around just a great little journey for them. Um, I'll give this one, I'll give this a 9 out of 10, honestly. Um, I think it's I think it was really, really great. And I'm looking forward to season three. And speaking of season three, I will say this. I think that the my speculation for season three will be that this new dinosaur, whoever he is, whether he's Dennis Nedry, something or another, or um, the this, the Indoraptor, um, I think it could be along the lines of uh, you know maybe it's too much for them, and maybe it makes the island kind of like too dangerous, and uh, then. They have to leave, and then they go to Isla Sonora, and maybe they hit your eye somewhere. Who knows? I, that's just me talking out of my butt for a minute or so. So uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Well, hopefully we get to be back on this show sometime in the summertime and you know see whether some of this stuff was right or not. Dan Grievous, you have been a trooper for the last three hours plus, and we appreciate your dedication to staying up late into the wee hours of the morn out there by you. Uh, can you give us your final thoughts on season two before you uh, before you have to sign off, sir? Thank you. Yes, it's the least I could do after you uh, after inviting me for a second chance to talk about this marvelous show and talking to my friends. It just it's always a pleasure. Um, I'm going to be quick. Uh, I loved season two as much as I loved season one, and I have to say, if everything that they have set up pays off. I think we're in a treat, in for a treat when and if season three comes. I think Manticore is going to appear. They think, I think there's going to be repercussions for Sammy's family. I think there's going to be more turmoil and more character development and maybe tragedy. I hope not too much, but I, I would be I would be in love with that. And I think Manticore, personal stuff, and uh, and a lot of. And especially E750 will play into all. I think it's all going to like culminate into one massive season, which will feature a lot of the. I think season two is incredible, but it's just the beginning. Begun. The hybrid wars have. I mean, it's just a setup, in, in my opinion. But I love it. 
I give it a 10 out of 10 because I, as much as I know that people can like uh, find things to hate about season two, I love it. I It's like for what it is, for the target audience and even beyond, it achieves and overachieves and it exceeds all expectations. So that's well, all I'm going to say. Well, I can't wait for season three. I think I'm right there Hopefully. with you, man. And thank you again for joining us this evening or this morning or however you want to put it. It's almost midnight by me. It's almost 1 a.m. out there by Star Raptor. It's, what, pushing 7 or 8 out there by you. So, I mean, it's... 15 uh, minutes straight, and it, don't worry. It's goodness. like, I hope I haven't ha- sounded too sleepy or gurgly because of the, uh, you know, the <clears throat> earliness, but... <clears throat> Sacrifices must be made in the name of science and podcasting. <laughs> Coffee works wonders. And if you're interested in in seeing this man's content when he's not on coffee, uh, be sure to go check out Dan Grievous on YouTube. He's got a Facebook page and an Instagram page as well. Uh, wherever social media allows, go hit him up. But Dan Grievous, thanks again for joining us, man. Always a pleasure. Hope to have you back soon. Thank you for having me very much, dude. Thank you so much, and thanks to everybody for this awesome discussion. Oh, man. They're dropping like flies. First, uh, Ben calls it a night, and then Dan calls it a morning. Chris, I know it's pushing wee hours of the morning out there on the East Coast. Thanks for taking time out of your night to be with us on this extra long show. Uh, What are your thoughts on this season and speculations on the next season? Yeah, well, first off, as you said, almost three hours of a discussion about Jurassic Park. And if there wasn't time constraints, I'm sure we could go on for oh, another two easily. hours. But easily. <laughs> easy, right? <laughs> we, we... So what I will say about this season is it wasn't it didn't live up to my why I liked about season one as much. Um, I'll start off, you know, dinosaurs were great. I love the variety uh the the new what are they called baronics baryonics 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 i like their edition um i like the copies of course i like the the character building um the arcs of these characters uh working in pairs you got ben especially ben was that we talked about that episode at length about how great that episode was for changing up his character but also the flow of the show um in general uh, we also get everything that goes along uh, with 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 just the villains. I like the perspective of you got these dinosaur hunters. I wasn't a fan of of how they behaved, and I and I get it. Like yes, the Jurassic Park villains have not been the greatest, but that doesn't mean that every time we introduce a villain, it has to fall by those standards. So like maybe we can get a great villain sometime, and it's never never too late for that. Um, and Bumpy, we spent a little bit of time talking about Bumpy not exactly uh, being to our liking, how it just shot up to being an adult very quickly. So that was something that, again, that's more of like a little nitpick. But I just didn't get that same energy that I got, the same vibe that I got from from season one. Um, you know, a month or two after this thing has come out, for me, it's almost been kind of forgettable for a large portion of the season. It kind of came and went for me. Um, there are memorable moments, but definitely not as many um, that I could recite as there were for season one. Um, so with that, I will give it a 6.5 out of 10, which is the same kind of score I gave it on my YouTube channel. 
But what I will say is for season three, uh, I would like to, I keep saying this, Isla Sorna and Spinosaurus, somehow if they can get both of those things to work in season three, I think it could turn it around for me at least and make it even better than season one if that happens. So there you go. Oh, right. And for those of you that are interested in finding his reviews and, and just content in general, be sure to go check out the Star Raptor on YouTube. And you've got like uh, Facebook and Twitter pages that give links to that other stuff as well. Yeah. So just uh, mm-hmm. be on the lookout for Star Raptor on social media and YouTube platforms in general. But dude, I, I don't know if you need to call it a night yet or not. I know it's super late out there by you, but uh, thank you so much for hopping on for as long as you did. It's it's greatly appreciated. Oh, yeah. It's always nice to catch up with everyone, and especially with, uh, you know, the Internet, there are no borders. So it's always great even getting people that are international, especially. It was, it was yeah. great talking to Dan and great talking to Steven, as always, and, and you guys out there in, in, in the Midwest and whatnot. So really fun stuff. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks so much again, and uh, hope to have you back on real soon, yeah? Yep. All right, that is Chris Abbott, the Star Raptor, also calling it a night here on the IPC podcast. We're getting ready to call it a night ourselves. Mondo, I believe outside of myself, you are one of the last men up. What are your thoughts on this season? What are your thoughts for next season? And how would you rate this season out of 10? All right, so my thought, my final thoughts on the season was overall I thought it was really good. And I did like it as much as I liked the first season Although, as it's been mentioned, it was different, but different always isn't a bad thing. You know, it didn't rely as much on the uh, the terror that, you know, that Jurassic Park would. Uh-huh. Uh, the first season definitely did. Uh, the, the second season did not. It relied more on storytelling and the characters. And like I said before, creating or making Camp Cretaceous its own story that's not dependent on the film. So with that being said, though, what I do think we're going to see happen is I do think that this mystery dinosaur or this mystery creation that, you know, that, that we see a little bit of uh, toward the end, I think that's going to wreak a lot of havoc. And I think that that's something that, is going to ramp the intensity back up. And I think you're going to see a combination of the storytelling along with the, the shock and terror again. So I'm really looking forward to season three in that regards. Uh, in terms of rating one out of 10, I think we're doing frozen pizzas topped with monster mayonnaise and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 7.75. Uh, I'm rounding that. Sh- I'm rounding that up to eight. Screw that. Okay. 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 I didn't, I, I, I don't know. How, I don't know how you guys do your, your, your rankings, but I'll give it an eight. Uh, I do think that it were as much as I loved the story development. I feel like it didn't have, it was missing a little bit of the shock and the horror of it. I, I know you had the stuff with Rexy and going into her lair uh, or going into her nesting area. But I felt like 
I didn't really feel like there was this large looming threat throughout the whole episode. And, and I know the the Betamax or whatever they're called. Um, I, I know that they were there, and I think those were supposed to kind of play more of that role. But since they're, I guess they're not as big as, as the Indominus, I, I think it was kind of lost a little bit. So it wasn't that, you know, that terrifying idea of what could happen. Right. And the villains were kind of dopey. Well, that may have been to be expected, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, but again, it goes back to what I said at the top of the show. And my initial thing is you also have to remember that the target audience for this isn't young adults that are talking about it on a podcast. The the target demographic, I believe, for this are those kids that are going to walk through Walmart, see the Toro toy, and get excited because it's something they saw on Netflix and it was Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're not exactly the target demographic, and yet we've spent over three hours talking about it, so... Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and and I'm not saying that is a bad thing, and I'm not saying anything like that. But I, but I think that some of the things that we've kind of nitpicked on are because we are adults and we are going to notice this stuff, and a kid probably isn't going to really, you know, question how Bumpy grew into to an adult in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It's it's possible, but. Um... My planet score is an 8 out of 10, and I believe my last score was a 9. So um, I guess I enjoyed the thrill and the interconnectivity uh, a bit more than I realized. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy the original storyline and the and the creative liberties that they took to try and move the story forward. I thought they did a really good job with that. But there was just something about the traditional Jurassic Park um, thrill ride that you got from season one, the uncertainty of if anyone would survive and the peril that you experienced with Ben, uh, towards the end of the season, there were just certain aspects of that first season that I think I just really enjoyed overall, um, more than this season, but there are some good things about this season, um, things that I really, really enjoyed. And so, um, I'm hopeful that we get a season three, because if we do, I really believe that there will be something that these kids do that sparks the uncertainty of the volcanic activity that we see in Fallen Kingdom. I am of the belief that it's not a coincidence that the uh, inert volcano suddenly becomes active over the course of a couple of years from the end of the first movie to uh, Fallen Kingdom something had to have happened in between those two events. And I think we actually witnessed that unfold. And that is what prompts them to leave the Island and evacuate to someplace like Ila Sorna is that the volcano becomes active and the Island becomes too dangerous for them to be on. So that is my hope for season three. And my planet score is eight out of 10. All right. We're going to go into the uh, quote of the night here, but it's just going to be something that's going to be edited in by Ben. So for those of you that are listening on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Podbean, you're going to hear a really awesome quote of the night from the uh, season finale, the final episode, and one of the final pieces of dialogue that happens between Mitch and Tiff before they meet their demise. Uh, It's a really cool sequence. It's really well written. 
And uh, it was one that Ben and I mutually agreed on before we started the show that was like, yeah, this is one that probably needs to get thrown in there. So without further ado, I present to you Ben's edited in quote of the night. What's good, Isla Nublar? Tonight we've got a very special, very shocking Brooklyn Unboxes Live going out to Mitch and Tiff. Kapow! And we've electrified the fences of bigger dinosaurs because safety is our number one priority here at Jurassic World. <laughs> I hate children. Botswana, the Amazon, Siberia. We have hunted tigers and hippos and snow leopards, and none of them have given us the trouble those five kids have. We're not beat yet, babe. We are getting that T-Rex head for your man cave and the head of every dinosaur we have ever wanted. (gasps) All right, it's time for the final segment of the evening, and it's not going to take too terribly long. Um... Time to get out your hashtags, folks, if you're listening live, which really that is just George at this point because we're up too damn late. Um, But if you're not, then get out your hashtags and put them in all the different social media platforms you can find because it's time for another edition of Hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Barbecue sauce, barbecue sauce, barbecue, 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 watch. Yeah. All right, so for this edition of a little close to home for Mondo and myself, we have been dealing with some of the coldest weather in recent history here in the state of Texas. Um, I believe the last time we got over an inch of snow accumulated in the Dallas-Fort Worth area was like 2015. And the last time that we got anything over three inches of snow was like 2012. So it's been almost a decade since we've had snow as as thick and as deep as what we've gotten. And don't you dare tap your necklace but um, it's been a oh, while. Oh, it's being tapped. Oh, shut it's up. being tapped hard. Shut up. <laughs> Little inside joke between the two of us, unfortunately. But um, it's been a while since we've had snow this bad. And yet I'm part of a Facebook group called the North Texas Barbecue Addicts where people are still going out to their smokers and preparing their briskets and steaks and such in sub-zero temperatures. Sub-zero Celsius, mind you. Uh, it, it's gotten as low as like a wind chill of minus 2 Fahrenheit, I believe, which is somewhere in like the minus 20 range, minus 15 range in Celsius. I have a trouble with metrics trying to keep up. But we have had below freezing temperatures, and people are still out there preparing their meats. And I, I guess I want to pitch it to you guys. Stop it! This is why we don't have you on the show. Um... I want I want to pitch it to you guys. What is the coldest temperature? What is your like temperature threshold before you say I'm not going outside to grill or barbecue food? 72 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> Says the man living in California. <laughs> 
That's that, that, I'm going to go 55. 55. Why do you think because, that? Because because I've been able like I can I can stand um being in like outside in 55 degree weather um and you know with a jacket on, you know, it it's chilly but it's not unbearable and then the heat of the grill will kind of keep you warm as well. I wonder uh, I wonder I think how... anything under that, you know, if you're out there shivering while you're cooking and it's an unenjoyable experience, then I feel like you're kind of you're 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 not doing it right. Uh I mean, you know how I like to cook and how I like to prepare my food and right. and especially grilling uh, to the point that I bought an electric grill for my apartment and you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it's, 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 it's fun. You know, it, right. it's a part of fun and I enjoy that. And if you're not enjoying it, then there's no point in doing it. Right. Right. That, that was kind of my train of thought as well. It was like to the point where it's no longer a joy. It feels more like a chore. I don't ever want my food prep to feel like a chore, particularly something like grilling or barbecuing. And so like I can't help but wonder what the temperature was when you and I did that live stream on Christmas Eve. You remember cooking those steaks out on my back porch? Yeah, that was probably about the threshold that I could probably yeah. I think it was a chilly night. I'm gonna say that might have gotten down to about 55. It, it, like, it might have. It was at least right that. I would think maybe closer to 50, depending on the wind chill. Yeah. So kind of, kind of right there, you know. But I will say this. It's some of those folks that were out there, though, they might not have, they may not have had a choice. You know, they may have been some of those unfortunate individuals that were plagued by power outages and stuff like that. So for, I'll give some of those people <laughs> a pass. Yeah, but I'm not uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to willingly say, oh, it's it's freezing outside. I'm going to go gr- cook my steak out on the grill anyway. Right. No, that's definitely not me. But it is interesting to think about because there are some people that that's their livelihood and they have to go out and and prepare those those foods in order to to sell it in their restaurant or what have you. Like if if the weather is too inclement for people to come out there, then obviously you wouldn't be out there either. But, you know, what is that cap? What is that threshold before you're finally like, "Nah, that is just too much to do." And really, this segment was mostly because my my thoughts and my concerns and my prayers have been with the people that are being affected by this weather in more ways than one. And, like, I'm, I'm wishing them the best and hoping that we're able to, to make our way through this because um, we are we're very near the end of the line, I feel like, but not quite there yet. Um, at least in the North Texas area, and mm-hmm. hopefully by uh, by this time a week from now, it'll just be a, a distant afterthought. But there are a lot of people that have burst pipes. There's a lot of people that lost power. Um, they lost a lot of food. They lost a lot, uh, a lot more than I did for sure. And um, I'm really looking for ways to be able to to be able to help them and be able to encourage them moving forward. Cause, uh, those people that did lose a lot, uh, it, it sucks, man. It really does. It does. And, you know, uh, I, I know we're trying to wrap this up, but being a, a fellow Texan, 
I, I do want to say, you know, for those that were affected, I wasn't very affected by it. You know, I lost power for a little bit Sunday and it got chilly in my apartment, but I lost it from like 7 a.m. to 3 or 4 p.m. And at the time I was mad and I was aggravated, like, oh, come on, you know, this is stupid. You know, little did I know that that seven or eight hours that I was without power was a blessing compared to what a lot of people went through. Yep. People went 24, 48. I saw somebody said uh, there's a couple people that I've seen post that they still haven't gotten power back uh, because they were not affected by the, the, the shutdown or the shut, you know, the, the controlled shutoff. You know, theirs was uh, an actual catastrophic equipment failure that caused theirs. So uh, mm. my, my heart goes out to everybody, people without water now, people that have had uh, colossal damages to their homes and their properties. And never, never in a million years would I have thought that cold weather would have caused this much havoc. No, me neither, man. And I'm glad that it only happens once a decade because that's about all I can put up with, or all that not not put up with, but it's all I can manage, you know, until until the next one comes around. And hopefully, we'll have learned better lessons by then so that it doesn't affect us quite as much as it did this time around. But a big thank you to people that opened up their homes, that opened up their their churches and community centers to be able to make them uh, warming centers for people who were without, people who were less fortunate. You guys are the real MVPs. And one of the other MVPs is uh, Steven Schinder for gutting this out with us as long as he did. Dude, thank you so much <laughs> for marathoning this episode with us. My girlfriend is looking at the stats going, you have been at this for three and a half hours? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, just about. Um, but Remember some of the earlier episodes of Wastelands? Oh, <laughs> man. I, I do remember that. <laughs> But it's it's been look, it's been a really. I remember it thinking, just get to the thing. <laughs> yeah, like look, I was on that show, and yeah. there were times I was like, "Oh my gosh, what have I signed up for?" <laughs> like, like, I, what, what are we doing? <laughs> this isn't a show at this point. This is a whole damn season. <laughs> like, more oh. or less, more it's or less. Old. Well. Star Wars Wastelands. Well, here's oh, the here's the other thing. When we move to a a twice uh, every every other week format, we got to give the people stuff that'll last them two weeks. So if you need to break this in half or something, by all means. Um, but you know, I I definitely I definitely enjoy the quality, and and we had like six awesome people all with really awesome thoughts on one particular franchise and that's always a really great thing and uh it was it was especially uh appreciated by by you hopping on and providing your thoughts man thanks for doing that and uh and where can the uh folks at home keep up with what you're doing when you're not on IPC for three and a half hours <laughs> Yeah, so when I'm not on IPC for three and a half hours, I'm on other podcasts, uh, which, I don't know, maybe combined could total to three and a half per week or something. But uh, So there's 
Delayed Replay, which is the podcast where I bring people on and we we review movies that were supposed to come out. There's lots of improv involved. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've had Zach on it before, so he can like vouch for me. It's fun. Uh, I like yeah. I like jumping into parallel universes and completely bullcrapping my way through a plot I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> oh. the most recent episode that's come out as of when we're recording was uh, Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings episode, which I recorded with Mr. Multiverse. And tomorrow, uh, sometime, the episode that's on the new Tom and Jerry movie uh will be out and then next weekend will be the m night Shyamalan movie old um i've recorded those with my friends greg and oliver respectively so yeah those should be fun to listen to and i'm also on star trek culture which uh you can find on the culture slate youtube channel uh, we, we're re-watching the original series and also sharing the latest Star Trek news. And you can find both of these podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Uh, I recently switched hosting for Delayed Replay from Channel 1138 to Anchor. So I'm uploading the episodes through there now. And you can also follow me at Stephen Schinder on Twitter and Instagram. Stephen Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. And you can go to stephenschinder.com, check out info on my fantasy horror comedy novel Lemons and Grain, which you can buy from Amazon and see what absurd, nightmarish things I imagine, if you want. I actually, um, I, have a, I have a copy of that, and uh, next time I see you, I need to get it autographed, sir. Oh, yeah, I would be so down to autograph it for you. And yeah, it was a pleasure being on this episode, and talking all things season two of jurassic world camp cretaceous it was yeah, a lot it, of fun it only took three and a half hours for all six of us to get our <laughs> thoughts in i mean you could probably be almost done watching season two of camp cretaceous by the time you finish this podcast <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> uh mondo you you're kind of mostly on the on the gaming side of things right now aren't you but is there a place that the folks at home can try and keep up with your shenaniganisms when you're not guesting on a podcast uh you know just facebook um that's pretty much where i do most of my hijinks and shenaniganing uh and gaming uh that, that, those those two pretty much um but, you know, who knows uh, when I might pop on a podcast again. Uh, might be soon, might be not. Who knows? But I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this a lot. Uh, I enjoy these one-offs. They're, they're fun. And I look forward to a time we can get together and uh, do this again because this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Well, maybe you and I can do some live streaming or some podcasting in person the next time we hang out. So... We'll uh, see what see what's in store, but uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. We'll be back in two weeks to provide you some more awesome content. A reminder that we are now a bi uh, bi weekly podcast, and uh, you can find all our previous episodes on places like StarWarsOnWorld dot com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and our hosting site IPC Podcast dot podbean.com this has been a marathon of an episode but hopefully this will last you a couple of weeks 
<laughs> but uh, it's been a really, really fun one for Steven and Mondo and the departed Ben and Dan and Chris. My name is Zach. Thank you for tuning in to this really long, really awesome episode. We hope that you'll tune in next time. But until that time comes around, we're just going to leave you with this final thought. It Mondo is, a... is the best. <laughs> Mondo is the best. Yep, that's it. That's the tweet. Good night, everyone. things and especially because like you mentioned tacos and stuff next time i'm over there in the united states i'm having a bucket list with other things i never uh, managed to you know try i mean i am still i'm never gonna forget the twinkie moment legendary oh man yes it was legend wait for it dairy Dairy. Uh, (laughs) so and i of course i'm still mad at even i'm not i'm not sure if i'm mad because uh Things the the news that comes out of Florida and some other states like Texas, like w- why do you guys have hot pockets? I mean, I am mad that I left one in Chicago because, and then I realized that some of you guys were vegan, and then I left a hot pocket that now I learned that they might come with glass and steel. Uh, look, listen, yeah, that was listen, new- listen. If if you get a hot pocket full of glass, it's still worth it. Like, I'm not gonna lie. like it's still no. totally worth it like i mean like I, I i'm sorry like if you get a like even if you end up getting the twinkie full of sand like it's still fucking delicious okay yeah, it was incredible it was it was just it, it was the best yes yes twinkie i i do sand. agree that's